feeling. The force brought us together. We're not alone. Good people will fight if we lead them. People keep telling me they know me. No one does. Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Your destiny. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome back to Sky Talkers, where we are doing a bit of a deep dive into the Rise of Skywalker final trailer that was just released earlier this week. And we're still thinking about it, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Yeah. So we're recording this, we have to say, and give you like a sense of time because who knows what's going to come out for the rest of the week. It's just like a roller coaster from here on out, you know? <laughs> um, so it's 24 hours after we saw the trailer. So we've like soaked up all of the analysis, all of the tweets. We have paused every frame. I have exhausted <laughs> through a list. You know, there's a lot of stuff that happens in this trailer. <laughs> I, for for the show notes for this, I like wrote down every beat and every shot, and I was like, "Oh my god, there's a lot." And for yep. that reason, I think last night Caitlin and I had recorded our reaction, and it was very late, and like our minds were, you know, Mush. running wild. Yeah, yes. And I was like, I don't know if this one's my favorite. It, we both were kind of like on the fence about like it, how did it compare to the Last Jedi trailer. I can now say I think this is my favorite trailer that we've gotten. Yeah, I think my opinion still stands from yesterday, but I love all of the trailers, so it's not like a one is better. It's just one that I enjoy more, I think, yeah. or have fonder memories of. Uh, and yeah, I think I think that's that. Yeah, we are recording this 24 hours later. Honestly, it was a scheduling thing. 
<laughs> and we wanted to talk about it and we weren't going to have time to talk about it for for the rest of the week. And we were like, you know what? We're, we're just going to do it again tomorrow night and it's going to be great. And so we just like steeped ourselves in everything that was being said about this trailer. <laughs> Right. In order to do some some additional research on it. But I was really excited because uh, I, for my birthday, I got the Star Wars Archives book by Paul Duncan, which is like this giant book all about the original trilogy with archival photos and scripts and things like that. And this is the first time that I've got to like whip it out and use it for some stuff <laughs> for show notes and things <laughs> like that. So I'm pretty excited about that. But Guys, the machine has started. I mean, it, it, it's been started. It's already started. But I just can't get over that we're two months out. And I know we talked about this in our reaction episode, but it's just, I don't know, it's so overwhelming and bittersweet thinking about how much the sequel trilogy has given us. And we're at the close of it now, not even of just, you know, the film's ending, but this like chapter in the Star Wars community online is coming to a close. And I know there's going to be a new chapter, obviously, because Star Wars is forever. Um, but I don't know, it's it's a little bittersweet. And I can't believe that this is the last final hurrah of the hype machine as we get ready for episode nine. And I just, I was listening also to our live episode from Star Wars Celebration where we did our 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 state our live stage obviously in the the nine trailer we were a streaming stage right and <laughs> we became a streaming stage <laughs> we became <laughs> hello welcome to sky talkers we're streaming <laughs> and that is just that's honestly one of my happiest Star Wars memories and I I don't know like that was the kickoff for Rise of Skywalker promotion and stuff and that was back in April and now we're here in October and as you can tell I'm just feeling a lot of things about it and I just I'm really happy to have had the time with you and with all of you to just like get excited for this movie. <laughs> I know. And, it's crazy. Yeah, now I'm like being emotional about it, but <laughs> Star Wars is so good, and I just I'm I'm looking forward to the next two months. It's going to be stressful. Don't get me wrong; like the anxiety is real, honestly. <laughs> but it's like a fun it's like a fun anxiety, which sounds weird to say. But I don't know. I'm just I'm looking forward to it, and I'm glad that we're all in it together. Totally, I. For me, when you keep saying it's bittersweet, it's hard for me to be like, yes, it's bittersweet. I'm very happy that we get the next chapter and to for some things to be confirmed, of course. But to me, it's just full on sad. Like <laughs> I, I don't, I don't consider this any sort of like I'm excited for the movie. Don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm like devastated that this is it because I think that we can all remember where we were when we first saw The Force Awakens or when Star Wars was coming back with Disney and it just it really does feel like a closing of a chapter and it just makes me so like I don't know I'm just so sad I yeah. I I want to reassure you listeners that the podcast will go on <laughs> but it, it's just cuz I I it's kind of crazy like you you're right we're at an end of a chapter in Star Wars fandom and I think that we'll see like a lot of things change in the next year, year and a half. Mm -hmm. And because things moved really quickly after The Last Jedi and like everything that's changed from now 
like since then has been so much for me personally, for you, for the podcast, all these things, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I just feel like it's just, it makes me emotional when I think about like things ending, some friendships. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely no, like the sweetness is in getting to finally see the conclusion of the story of the bittersweetness. Like we made it and we, we got to like, we're seeing that film and that's exciting, but the bitterness is definitely a bit overwhelming too. I mean, it's crazy. It's cool when you're so involved in a fandom like this and you can like track your life with the films and they, they create these like hallmarks for what was happening in your life. I mean, Force Awakens came out. We were out of we were about to graduate from college. We weren't even no, we were we, we were out of college. 25 Oh yeah, we graduated earlier that year. And I wasn't in graduate school yet. You hadn't moved back to Boston yet, and we were like we should start a YouTube channel. Bad idea. And <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, and then last year I came out, we have the podcast. That's crazy and and then you moved back to Boston. I was in graduate school and now last uh, Rise of Skywalker is here and I'm out of graduate school. I have a real person job and like I had nieces during that time, too. I had more nieces (laughs) during that time. (laughs) Things, you know, it's just, it's crazy, like, how you can, I don't know how you can track these big moments in your life. And it's fun to have something like Star Wars to have been there for a lot of those times. And also, I feel like it causes me to reflect, too, like, oh, wow, like, we're here at the end of The Rise of Skywalker. What was I doing when Force Awakens came out? Oh, yeah, like, that's who I was when Force Awakens came out, and that was, my like, my first big Star Wars movie experience. And now here we are at the third one, like, the third saga film of the new Disney era. And I don't know. It's just – it's good. It's reflective. Yeah, I was listening to – last night when I was getting hyped, <laughs> I was listening to the Star Wars playlist on Apple Music, which is, I think, recently updated because there's some jams on there that are new. Like, it starts with the Galaxy's Edge and everything. I was like, wow. Anyway, um, the Jedi Steps came on, and it just – it really does bring me back to, the like, us watching The Force Awakens for the first time and then also realizing that we have been – speculating about that movie the force awakens for so long since it was announced in 2012 and in that last scene i just remember so clearly being in the movie theater and being like oh my god we only have like one minute left of this movie (laughs) (laughs) and 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 then another waiting game begins (laughs) yeah and and i remember thinking that when the last jedi came out too it was like an hour before the movie it was like this is the apex and then it was all going to be over for another two years. And now we're we're coming up to that that crescendo again of fandom. And then and then I don't know. <laughs> and then we I don't know. have another two years for a new saga film. I mean, who knows like what they're going to tell us at the end of Rise of Skywalker? But presumably, at least for a, like at least a decade, we're done with the Skywalkers. <laughs> right? I feel so. Uh, mixed about that but right it's okay yeah <laughs> well everyone I you know I've circulated this trailer around to like most of my family most of my friends and everyone is like why is it ending I don't understand why does it have to end it makes me so sad and I'm like I know right <laughs> and I know that they're playing that up but I do think that there's clearly a market for 
you know, the Skywalker saga, which has outsold Avengers Endgame in the pre-sales last night by like, I think like 30%, 40%, something crazy. I can't help but be like petty proud about that. I know. <laughs> I, I, I could care less about like ticket sales <laughs> and stuff. But I saw yeah. that article and I was like, <laughs> Well, after two years of hearing how Lucasfilm is failing and yeah. no one likes it anymore. And it's Solo like, as well. Like having to deal with that discourse for months. Yeah. It's it's really like, uh-huh. Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It did feel good. It did feel good. A little petty, but it did feel good. <laughs> it's okay. Sometimes you got to lean into that pettiness. Yeah. It just it makes every, you feel good. Yeah. Just every once in a while. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a human feeling. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, okay. So are we ready to actually start talking about the trailer? Yes. Perfect. Okay, so like Charlotte said at the top of the show, we are going to be going through this sequentially. You guys know we don't usually go through things super sequentially on the show, but with something like this, which is showing us the film (laughs) non-sequentially, I think it actually is helpful to go through it in this order. So we will kind of be going through it beat by beat, like Charlotte said, and then breaking down some of our thoughts on what is going on within it. So the very first thing and the most important thing we have to discuss, the Lucasfilm logo. What are your thoughts? (laughs) I mean classic it always makes you feel good to see <laughs> <laughs> but I, the, the thing that i really wanted to mention here though is something that came to me last night i tweeted about it so if you follow me on twitter sorry you've heard this i was kind of shocked by how this beginning of this trailer i think intentionally mirrors the teaser trailer for the phantom menace and if we think about things in canonical order i really do like this reflection of the last trailer and like the first teaser and so the first teaser of the phantom menace opens with birds bugs crickets and like rustling of leaves as the gungans go through the fog and here we have the beginning of of the rise of skywalker trailer kind of fading in and showing us lush greenery and everything and to me i just feel like and with like similar sounds, like it's really, really similar, if not way crisper and clearer because it's 2019 and not 1999. <laughs> and I I don't know, you start off with the Phantom Menace in the fog and here you have this clearing, which I think is just a really great dichotomy that they represent from the onslaught, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think those kinds of parallels are important. And JJ has said multiple times that... I mean, that was the whole uh, – one of the main things they said back in Celebration, they all kept emphasizing how this is the end of a nine-part saga. <laughs> and I think that those are very intentional in the marketing. And The Phantom Menace has such prob- – um, not prominent, um, like iconic marketing tactics that I think it makes a lot of sense for them to be going back and even visually doing callbacks to that as well. Because the other trailers have been quite different too from the sequel trilogy. So it is something that's different, but still familiar to a lot of us. And I don't know, I think the the opening of this, like when Ray drops the helmet, for me, I was thinking about, it reminded me one of her helmet in The Force Awakens that she puts on and is like kind of pretending and stuff like that. 
but that's like a fighter pilot helmet and that's not what she is. And so she drops it because it's not what she needs. But then it also reminded me of – I found myself thinking about Luke in A New Hope with his training, like the training helmet that mm-hmm. he uses. They're not the same obviously, but like the idea of like a, a helmet that's being used while training. And she also drops that indicating that she doesn't need that either. I don't know. I just thought it was interesting like why does she have the helmet – she takes it off. It was on while she was in the forest. Was she flying and like landed and got out and running and dropped the helmet? You know, I don't know. Um, I, I just think it's kind of interesting that she has it. To me, it was a clear parallel between Kylo and her. Where the iconic shot to me that always comes back of Kylo and his helmet is in The Force Awakens right when Han says, you know, I want to see the face of my son, essentially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, JJ does that, like, super loud thump of the helmet. Mm -hmm. I just, I I thought of that immediately. Yeah. That we have, like, a rejection of the helmet there or, like, the forcible removal of a helmet. And uh, same, I mean, I don't know what's happening here, but I I don't know. I I drew that parallel because you can't not draw parallels between Rey and Kylo. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's like too when she puts on that helmet in The Force Awakens, it's very childlike. And she kind of portrays anything but that in The Rise of Skywalker from what we've seen of her so far. So I don't know. It's kind of like reminiscent of where she's come from too. But I think you're right drawing that that parallel. I think it'll be interesting too to see once – like why she actually has it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Was it being used in training by Luke or Leia in the similar way that Luke did his training in A New Hope with the blast shield down? Really hope not. <laughs> I think that what you said, though, is really important, is that if all of these, you know, Star Wars is a tale of adolescence and, you know, coming into your own. And while we say that, and I'm sh- sure we have like, 19, 20-year-old protagonists or like even Kylo Ren, you know, Ryan Johnson always referred to him kind of in the adolescent sense. Here, like you said about, you know, that did represent adolescence and, you know, childishness um, of her. Because I remember in the script, it really does stick in my brain, the script for The Force Awakens, you know, Ray puts on the helmet just because and yeah. I always loved that because it really it really was just because like I think that you you see that and you as a fan, you immediately relate to that like childlike wonder. And I don't think that needs to necessarily go away as you become older. But I think that like you you mentioned, she's growing up. <laughs> she has grown up. Mm-hmm. She's been through a journey and this is the end of her journey. Yeah, exactly. And I I think that moment was so important in The Force Awakens because it showed that there was more to Rey than just survival. Like she had this imagination and she had these dreams of different lives and put the helmet on just because and just because it was fun or it was something to do or it brought her like this feeling of happiness if even for a moment or just enjoyment or something like that. Her entire life wasn't just like she wasn't defined just by her need to survive. There were these other pieces to her um, that helped her get through her days because the practicality of her life was survival. But there also she also had so much more going on inside her. And there, like you said, there is still like this childlike wonder going on too. So it's a nice moment in The Force Awakens. And I'm sure we'll like we'll be able to compare it more once we see the full scene play out. <laughs> 
But right. also, I'm like, is that the same helmet from Force Awakens? Like, did they go back to Jakku no. and she picked it up? <laughs> no, no way. No, I don't. I don't think so. But okay, let's talk about how you know. Sure, she drops the helmet, but then she goes running and <laughs> balancing, and then the scene basically transitions to her scavenging inside of the Death Star, I assume, or Star Destroyer. I'm just not sure. Like, I think it's the Death Star. I think it's the Death Star ruins, but. In so many cases, when I was writing this out, I was like, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> like, I think it could be, but that's my assumption. And until they confirm it to us, until I see it on screen, I don't know. But I'm just going to say it's the Death Star. So she's scavenging inside the Death Star. And I think that there's something here that is really interesting. Like, why is she, like, running on balance beams? Like, I'm sure she is training and I'm sure that makes a lot of people happy to see that, you know, Ray is, you know, coming into her own of, in her force powers. But I really do think that she's like letting off so much anger mm-hmm. and uh, frustration. I don't know if it's anger. I think it is anger, but I really do think it's more frustration. Yeah. And I think that like we're going to see something that, you know, while while the scene did transition straight into the Death Star of her scavenging, I have to imagine that these training moments will come up perhaps in like the third act of the film. Like, why does she need to like balance on something? Why would she need to know how to scavenge? Like all of these things I think will come back to inform Ray's uh, like her plot beats, honestly, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, for how she needs to acquire something. And I think I think what the trailer is doing is calling attention to these things yeah yeah absolutely and again it's calling attention to where she started too so it's kind of it's kind of strange seeing her like these moments i think have caused me anyway to reflect a lot on how we saw these characters in the force awakens and you think about when we saw ray for the first time inside the star destroyer on jakku and she's very like she's just doing it you know, mm-hmm. there's not really a, a describable emotion, I think, on her face at the time. But in this moment, she's doing the same thing, but so much has changed. And you're right. She's I like I can't get over how frustrated she looks throughout this whole trailer. <laughs> the, she's so she's so frustrated. She's so frustrated. <laughs> the only time that she's not frustrated is at the the very last shot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, like we'll talk about them, but like, all the other shots, she's just you know like. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I, I do too. I think it's really cool seeing that emotion from her, that range, and what is when are we going to get smiles? What are our smiles going to come from? <laughs> we have to earn the smiles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Star Wars is tragedy, uh, so. <laughs> but in this case, it's going to be a comedy, Caitlin. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a comedy. It's going to be a comedy. <laughs> I, I just feel like you have, oh, and we said this in our immediate reaction, but like it becomes more and more clear throughout the marketing that Ray and Kylo are both going back to that line that Leia said to Han in The Force Awakens. We both went back to the only thing we ever knew. Um, and the only thing we're ever good at, I forget the line, honestly. <laughs> and um, you have Ray like going back into her old scavenger ways, but coming to it with this renewed sense of anguish, I think. And I think you get the same thing for Kylo. 
which isn't really part of this conversation, but I do think that that's how they balance each other's, uh, how they balance the characters. Yeah, because they, well, to be honest, we haven't really seen Kylo going back to what he knows. I'm sure he will, but from what we've seen of him so far, he hasn't actually been doing that, but I think he will be. But yeah, yeah, like seeing Rey in that situation, it's like, you know that so much has changed for her and she is in this frustrated sense. And it's just alerting you that something is off, that this isn't actually what she should be doing. Mm -hmm. And then I think I think there's obviously the question of like how much of this is training, how much of this is her like going out on her own to release that built up frustration and anger and she's using training to do that i think it's probably like some combination of all of that but i think it's really interesting i'm just imagining ray in the resistance camp on this jungle planet and she's just like gets really annoyed at some sort of meeting or like post speech or something and she's like i'm just gonna go for a run and just (laughs) bolts out super angry gets super sweaty ignites her lightsaber just because like there's a there's a scene scene later which i don't think will i like will mention it but i think it, it bears talking about now because i do think it's part of the same sort of training montage where she's running across across a cliff with her saber Mm -hmm. and it's a great shot it really reminds me of some of the the sweeping landscape shots that we get on octo in the last jedi Mm -hmm. and i am just like (laughs) my headcanon honestly is she just got really frustrated with some like meeting and was just like i'm going for a run (laughs) (laughs) i think it'd be this great moment for poe and finn and rose too to all be like like rose and poe to be like what is what is up with Ray? And it's like, it's fine. Don't worry. Because <laughs> Poe's there like, we had to find people to lead. Good people will fight if you lead them. And like, this is how we're going to do it. And like, Ray's going to do that. And Ray's like, no. No. And then she like runs off. She's like gets up in the middle of the meeting. And everyone's like, that's our Jedi. Like, is she okay? <laughs> there she goes. And they're like, Poe, you got to go talk to her. And he's like, ah. <laughs> and then bb8 is like go <laughs> yeah yeah I, I mean i just think that we're gonna it makes me think of that scene where you have leia watching over ray as she kind of does the like boomerang lightsaber mm-hmm. in the d23 footage i just wonder like i think that i think that leia will have some part in ray's training and i think it'll further show leia's force abilities in a kind of satisfying way but i think that how much of that is, you know, Ray, you should just go run. <laughs> go for a jog with your saber. What would be so funny is if, like, Leia's the one to go out and find her and she's like, you know, Han always made me want to run away too sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, she's talking about Kylo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so the next part um, is an overhead line that we hear, which is from Finn, and it's like the best delivery ever. I love this. The, like just His intonation, the way he says it, it's all perfect. He goes, it's an instinct and a feeling. The force brought us together. Okay, force-sensitive Finn Seriously and honestly, do we think it's plausible, or do we think it makes? I, I think it's. Do plausible. we think it makes sense for the story? I guess is a better question. I mean, I think that anything can make sense for the story. I don't 
really see how introducing it in the third act would make like satisfying sense for me personally with Finn's arc, but I guess I'd be excited about it though. Mm-hmm. Especially if it was introduced at the end. I don't know. I think that I think what they're more likely to do is refer to like when you have this sense of destiny, it's really just the sense of the force. It's really a sense of the cosmic force. And we we talked about this in our immediate reaction, but I just I feel like I can see them going the route of force sensitive Finn just because I think about when Kylo first sees Finn in his indecisiveness on Jakku after he after Kylo like you know traumatized the village and Kylo stops and stares and they have a moment mm-hmm. and I always that always stays with me because I do think that there's some sort of shared familiarity there whether it's this feeling of wanting to run whether it's this feeling of doubt I, that's how I've interpreted that but I do wonder maybe sometimes it's not that maybe it's why can I feel this person in the force does this person have the force mm-hmm yeah, I honestly don't know what I think my opinion is on Force-sensitive Finn. Because on the one hand, I'm like, no, let's just keep it with – like, let's just focus our Force energy on, like, Ray and Kylo. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, man, it'd be so great to see Finn having that power. But then I, I get stuck into my head thinking about, like, the practi- – not the practical – the reality of, like, fandom and how it was kind of – a mistake the way that they led you to believe that Finn was force sensitive in the force awakens promotional material and how that really rubbed me the wrong way. And a lot of people the wrong way for very good reason. And that I wouldn't want people to think that this was kind of backtracking or uh, making up for the fact that we were kind of really misled and not in like a fun speculatory misleading, but in a really frustrating Mm -hmm. misleading with Finn's character in The Force Awakens. Um, So I I don't want it to be for that reason because I don't really like when, I don't know, that feels fan servicey in a way, even though it wasn't the fans being – we weren't at fault, basically. It wasn't fans being overzealous and, like, demanding something of creators and then the creators giving it to them. Not It's not that kind of situation, yeah. but I kind of feel like that. And then at the same time, if you were saying, you know, if it was something that was saved for the end, then I would feel mad that I didn't get to see Force-sensitive Finn. I know. As I said <laughs> it, I felt that too. Yeah. So I, I think no, unless we're going to get to spend some time with it. And there'd be a good reason why Finn has never known about it before. Because presumably, midi-chlorines are still a thing. They have to be a thing. You can't destroy them. No, you can't. (laughs) And so I would imagine that the First Order, like, checks, (laughs) you know? Like, what's your blood blood type? What's your midi-chlorine count? What's your blood pressure? Like, all that. Your eyesight capabilities. I feel like the First Order would check for all of those things. And my guess would be that they would just honestly kill people who have a certain midichlorian count. I agree. But consider if the First Order wanted to create their own troopers and not use clones, that they might seek out Force users in order to like brainwash them and make them somehow more powerful. I'm not sure how, yeah. but I can see the story kind of yielding that a little bit considering we've had that conversation with kylo and hux before about 
you know, Kylo doubting Hux's sensibilities mm-hmm. with the the ranks in the army. And I just, if Finn does find his family, which we've talked about extensively on the show, and it it really, maybe it's not just his, like, his, you know, his blood family, or if it's it's where he came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like, if it, it, does he find that with Janna? And what if Janna's like, no, you were special. Like, you were a child that we knew was, was special and the First Order took you from us. Yeah. The only thing I would say to that is that Finn was a janitor. <laughs> that doesn't really feel like the First Order was like, we have to keep this Force-sensitive kid safe for our own purposes. I don't know if it's safe. It's more like they brain scrape and use for whatever needs they need to use them for. Yeah, that just doesn't seem like very specialized training. No. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I definitely, I wouldn't be surprised if the Force, First Order has done that or we'll see that even in The Rise of Skywalker or in extra material at some point. It's definitely very malicious. So th- they would do it. <laughs> <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> very plausible. Yeah. <laughs> right now I'm leaning towards a no for a sensitive fin. But like with most things, if it's done well, you you guys know I'll be on board. <laughs> okay, taking those goggles off, though, I do think that that line was a super clear reflection of how far Finn has come as a character. To me, it was it reminded me of how he said, like, that's not how the Force works. You know, or that not he said. Let me start over. That reminds me of when Han Solo is like, that's not how the Force works. And Finn is kind of in that moment, kind of ignorant of what the Force actually does. And <laughs> here we have him saying with like absolute conviction, like the Force brought us together. And I I can, I think that's true. I mean, the story does that. <laughs> the Force brings yeah. people together. And I would assume that the Force brought Ray and, and Finn together as well. Mm-hmm. I know we talk a lot about Ray and Kylo, but... I, I do think that it was destiny that Finn landed on Jakku and they found each other, that that they went on this adventure together and they started there. It had to happen that way. And for that reason, like you have to think that it's somehow destiny, it's somehow fate, it's somehow like equals the force. Yeah, 100%. I This line, you're right, just does show so much how his character has progressed. And we talked about that a bit in our reaction episode. But the thing that I think is... The thing that I'm interested in is where he's getting this newfound knowledge about the Force and confidence in the Force. Is it coming from Rey? Is it coming from Leia? Where is it coming from? Because you're right, he's so ignorant when he first talks to Han about it. And he's like, we'll just use the Force. Mm-hmm. Han's like, no. <laughs> That's not what we do here. And he he doesn't really understand just how powerful ray really is so does he come to understand that is that something that ray keeps to herself because she is frustrated at the situation ray still has questions too about just what her force powers mean or is she like is she confiding in finn a lot of what she has learned or is this faith in the force something that has just been born out of the experience that Finn had in The Last Jedi? Is it coming from like Janna and her group, whether that's Finn's, you know, blood family or his hometown or just people they meet along the way? Or is it something from Leia? I, I don't know. I think that's kind of what I'm interested in. Like, who is the one who is like basically preaching to Finn about the force that he would go from having no knowledge of it and 
like he has faith in it in the force awakens he just he he thinks is that that it's like this magical power that's just mm-hmm. there to lift rocks yeah. um when that's not what it is but here he he sounds like he has a much better understanding of it so i wonder who gave that to him or how he discovered that for himself right i do too so our next shots are uh, Finn looking out on Pisana with binoculars. Um, John Boyega uh, Instagrammed a really hilarious video, like an edit <laughs> of this moment. So <laughs> that that's all. That's that's a teaser for you to go and check it out because it was really funny. So good. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see Ray running around with her lightsaber in the jungle on a cliff. We mentioned that up above. Um, or up above before. And then we see the rebels in a hangar, a lot of rebels, not just a couple, many people. (laughs) And they're all crowded around Poe. And you can also see Lando there. So Mm where did all these people come from? Because one of the things we always talk about The Last Jedi is how it is just about routinely culling the resistance down until they can all fit on the Falcon. And all of those people could not fit on the Falcon. So do you think Lando brought all of these people themselves or are there other people who finally responded to Leia's call? That's an interesting thought. I didn't really think about that, like Lando bringing people to help Leia or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could happen. But I, I, to me, I don't know. I don't know if the the movie's going to resolve this in a satisfying way. Like, I kind of think that, like, some of the ancillary material is going to do that. Like, the books and Resistance, the show, I think that it would... It, I think that maybe Lando will bring some people, but I don't think it'll be... I would be surprised if it was talked over so much. Cause that feels so exposition-y, you know? Mm-hmm. About, like, how are we getting all these different people? I think that, like, it makes sense that they need to recruit allies, but I don't know if that really makes that big of an exciting story for me. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if they could, you know, if, you know, roughly a year has passed to give or take. And I wonder if we start and it's Poe being like, yeah, like Finn just got back from such and such system getting more recruits for the resistance. And now we're up to this number of people in the resistance. And that would like tell you enough to know that they've spent part of this time recruiting. <laughs> yeah, like I, I can just really see it as a paragraph in the crawl. Yeah, that too, that too. And he comes back and, and they have all these people from different systems because it, it's quite sad at the end of Last Jedi when no one answers Leia's call. So I'd be surprised if it was like, oh yeah, they like, it was just like a weak signal. It finally got through and then they all came. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that's how it's going to be. I think it'll be like a conglomerate of all these different people. Yeah, yeah, because it kind of takes away from that moment. And then too, you know, it kind of makes me wonder like how big – like was it the entire resistance there or were there these outposts like the Colossus perhaps that were waiting in the wings and met up with the resistance later on? Right. Maybe I don't know. we'll see Flix and Orca. Oh, my God. This, see, this is, like, a really good opportunity for all the cameos possible. <laughs> right? I, I don't I don't know how I feel so much about, like, major cameos like that. But because I saw some people, like, trying to analyze whether or not they see Hera there. I don't really see anyone besides Lando and Poe that I recognize, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Same. And I don't think that you're really supposed to. I don't think they would give that away that, mu- that big. Mm-hmm. But I, maybe I'm wrong. I'm probably wrong. But, I just think it'd be uh, really funny if Flix and Orca were there. And yeah, it would be hilarious. They're like, 
<laughs> they're like, oh, you want to buy something? Here, you can buy it. I'd love to see them like trick Poe into buying something. And then Rose is like, you overpaid. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> same, that would be great. That would be really funny. <laughs> I- I'm just like, where? what are they under? Some big ship. Do you think that yeah. maybe this is the um, Tandiv? Oh my gosh. I, I get like such, like, yes, it's four, but I get such like fan anxiety because people say Tandiv IV, V, V. Whatever. Really? I'm going to get some ads. Yeah. It's weird, Caitlin. It's strange. It's the there whole at at versus ATAT thing. Yeah. But it's weird. Tantive IV. Yes. Because in the, I, I think it's either the audiobook or the radio drama, they say Tantive VV. <gasps> yeah. And that was like, you know, came out in 1977. A lot of people have a lot of memories with that. You know, it, it was a thing. <laughs> I think that that's a continuity error. <laughs> That Isn't it somehow spiral. Yes, exactly. But it has spiraled. So I get like a little bit of anxiety when I say Tanted 4 because no. it is Tanted 4, but whatever. Gonna say Tanted 4. You guys know. I'm sure someone's like ripping out their hair right now listening to this. <laughs> Listen, we, here on Sky Talkers, we say Tanted 4 and we say ATAT. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> and unfollow us now. <laughs> and that's who we are. Sure. That's the hill we're going to die on. <laughs> I don't even care that much about it, you know? I don't, anyway, but it's ATAT. Do we think, yes, exactly. Do we think it's that ship? <laughs> I, I have mean, no idea. Be. I have no Who knows I didn't even, ships, man? I. <laughs> But the way that I've had to care in the past, we said this yesterday too. It's like the past year has made me so much more aware of ships than I ever was in my entire Star Wars fandom. And I'm like, who am I being able to recognize the ghost? I'll be honest. I don't know if I could pick out. I think I could pick out the Tanta 4 actually um, from certain profiles, but some profiles with the Tanta 4, I don't know if I'd be able to pick it out out of a lineup. I'll be honest. You're not a true fan, Caitlin. You better study up on those reference books. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get them. I, I feel like I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it could be the Tanta Four. I don't know. Like me and my things that I love in Star Wars. I'm like, does it matter? No, it really doesn't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but to some people, it does. And then it's like, okay, well, like I guess it does matter if you know Lando is coming on the Tanta Four. <laughs> It then really it does matters, matter, I suppose. That, like, yeah, I think that was like Leia's consulary ship. Like that would be cool. And Bale had it, I believe, in Revenge of the Sith, yeah. which is cool too. So and and we see it in um, Rogue One, obviously. And I'm pretty sure that that's where they wipe C three PO's mind. It is. Would yeah, because that's at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Okay, fine. It's important if it's the Tantive War. <laughs> Given the fact that there's a possibility that 3PO, like, sacrifices himself for his memory or to, like, reboot himself or something, it's kind of, like, a interesting parallel if they have that ship back and and they erase his memory there and, like, then again it gets erased, like, on there. Uh, who knows, right? <laughs> Who knows? We spent but, so much time talking about the Tantive. Yeah, let's move Four. on. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. So in this same shot, we have Poe saying, we're not alone. Good people will fight if we lead them. And this doesn't really sound like he's talking to a big group of people. This sounds more small group, one-on-one. <laughs> um, a small group. A small group. <laughs> like I, a prayer circle. <laughs> yeah. I feel like... You're right about that. I think the scene in the trailer makes you want to think that that's 
like what he's saying when he's addressing all those people. But I don't think that's true. I think that he is talking like it's like a pep talk to like our main characters, really. Yeah, yeah, it's a pep talk. They're like, we don't have enough people. And it's like, no, like good people will come if we lead them. Don't worry. Yeah. So the next shot is we get to see Rose looking concerned. Um, and everyone but her and Dominic Moynihan and another person are going in the opposite direction. Uh, oh, looks I like- think it's Billy Lord. Oh, you're right. You're right. It is. It's Connix. Yeah, yeah it's Connix. You're right. So Rose is in the foreground and then Connix and Dominic Moynihan are in the background and everyone else is going in the opposite direction. Maybe to fight, maybe running away. Like, is this like, is there some ship coming down that they're all scared of and they're all getting in their ships to fight and or flight away? I think that if you if you watch the clip, there's some red shot fire. Hmm. So I think something bad's happening. I mean, she looks <laughs> very distressed and I laugh because I'm stressed and <laughs> I I feel like, yes, it makes sense that she'd be going towards like she's, you know, brave and everything. And I feel like they're looking at someone descending, someone arriving, someone that they know. Maybe these people that are running away probably don't know and they're just like running for their lives. My first thought is that she's looking at Finn or like someone injured. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's a ship arriving that maybe they don't want there. Maybe they've been alerted oh. that someone is coming. That's what I that's what I think. Because then the next shot, I don't I don't know if I think they're connected, but is Poe, Finn, and Chewie outside of Poe's new orange X Wing, which like R.I.P. the black X Wing. That was like my favorite. <laughs> ever again why do i care (laughs) suddenly you care suddenly i care i remember when so charlotte and i used to get the smuggler's bounty box that had like the funko pops and stuff and ultimately we we decided that we're not huge funko pop people (laughs) but we continue to get the box we continue to get the box (laughs) until it stopped (laughs) until it stopped every every month would be like are we funko people and then we'd just like get the next box (laughs) (laughs) but i remember being so excited when the Poe one came with his black X-Wing, because for some inexplicable reason, I love Poe's black X-Wing. It's so weird, Kayla. <laughs> it's so weird. I think – I honestly think it's tied to just how much I am emotionally attached to the beginning of The Force Awakens because, yeah. as you guys know, like that's – like. I'm instantly brought back to the first theater experience whenever I see The Force Awakens and the first like 20 minutes is like – that's when it happens. <laughs> and the, mu- the like there's the music cue of when uh Poe like runs behind his X-wing too in that in that whole sequence of events that is just so good and I remember like my heart racing. Anyway, it was perfect. And I think that's probably why I like it so much. <laughs> but anyway, the whole point of that to say is that Poe Finn and Chewie were also like looking towards something with a concerned look on their face as well. But we don't really see people running behind them like we do with the shot of Rose. But it does feel like a like an arrival. And Rose's looks concerned. Finn, Poe, and Chewie looks almost like, whoa, am I seeing what I'm seeing? But Rose's, Rose's, like, her setup and, like, the people behind her, they're acting in kind of a scared or frantic manner. It's mm-hmm. different. Yeah. I'm intrigued by that. 
I just have to say, have to pause. Very happy to see like an up close and personal shot of Rose. It made me so thrilled that they put her in the marketing. Finally, she's on the poster too. And I just, I'm, I can't wait to see her relationship further with Finn and her rising in the ranks of the resistance and how far she's come. I just can't wait. I'm so happy for her and Kelly Marie Tran. And it was really great to see her after a long time, it felt like. Yeah, there was, I saw this great tweet and I can't remember who it was from, but someone had an image of that moment of Rose and goes, this picture is so HG so you can see all the flaws she doesn't have. (laughs) (laughs) True. I was like, retweet. (laughs) (laughs) Instant retweet. (laughs) It was really funny. <laughs> okay, so after that, you have the shot of the Tantive Four. I'm going to say it that way. And going over the jungle planet. I think I think it's the Tantive Four. Like, it looks a little repainted to me. But um, I, I don't know. So. Whatever. It's going. It's getting downward. Maybe that crashed. Like, who knows? Yeah, maybe they're like, we're finally getting the Tantive Four, like, up and running. And then it crashes. Yeah, because it's, like, skimming the top of the trees. Like, maybe it crashed. Like, maybe Lando's inside of it and he, like, tumbles out. <laughs> somersault. And that's what Rose was looking at. Somersault. <laughs> somersault that's why Billy D. Williams was doing so much working out because he had to do a somersault. <laughs> Off the Off the <laughs> He's like, oh, I'd never try that with a cape on. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Have you tried to do a somersault like recently within the past like five years? Caitlin, no, I'm never doing that in my life. <laughs> You're hard. <laughs> never. Somersaulting is like hard. Did you break your neck? Like, <laughs> No. I remember though, like my nieces were somersaulting because they're tiny and they can just like do it. They're five and three. Yeah, and they're like cartilage out the wazoo. <laughs> Their bones aren't full, fully formed. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, Aunt Katie, do some result. And I like went to go do it and then I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, why am I nervous about this? Your center of balance is so different. Yeah, it's like, this feels like I could hurt something. And then I was like, why is this? <laughs> <laughs> it was alarming. I was like, whoa, I'm much bigger than like these small children. And I feel like, I don't know, this just like won't work. <laughs> and they're just like somersaulting around me, like, Aunt Katie, Aunt Katie, do a somersault. So basically, that's going to be Lando somersaulting around the <laughs> yes. resistance base. <laughs> He's like, what? Like, it's hard? <laughs> This is how we do it. This is how we beat the First Order. We just make them dizzy. This is how we beat the First Order. By somersaulting circles around their legs. Okay, this is so ridiculous. Imagine, like, the Sith Troopers show up on wherever we are, Endor, and all of a sudden, the Tantive Four crash lands in front of them. Lando somersaults out. The Sith troopers are like, what the heck? And Poe's like, you should actually probably run. Like, I don't think you want to see this. And they're like, what? And then you just have like a somersaulting Lando, like speed somersault in. I just realized I'm comparing Lando to like a droidica <laughs> in-, <laughs> in the prequel. Yes. Like, 
<laughs> just the return of like everything that rolls. Like it's a theme, man. Like we have BB-8, oh we have BB-8, BB-8 and Lando just like figure eighting around the Sith troopers. Oh my god. Okay. Wow. All right. Let's move on. That was, that was too good. All right. Oh boy. So to the part that we really care about. <laughs> The waves, right? You know, I'm just not going to hide the fact that I'm really just, I, I love Star Wars. I love everything about Star Wars. But what makes me the most excited is the Ray and Kylo stuff. It's just a fact. And everyone who's listening knows that. Yeah. <laughs> so I love this whole like shot of the waves raging around the Death Star ruins. Again, I say presumably the Death Star ruins because I think it could be a Star Destroyer. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and you can see Ray there. Really tiny. I didn't notice that until recently when I was making these notes that she's in that shot. But I just have to pause and say that it just deserves to be mentioned again, even if we've mentioned it before. The waves rushing around them and them being Ray and Kylo. But in this moment, Ray, and I think we can talk just purely about Ray, with her emotions so high, so much anger, so much like I, I think the shot of her that you get next of um like just her face, I think that she looks almost fearful and fully immersed in anger, in stress, in, I don't know, she's like harnessing this energy within her that, to to be honest, like it's hard for me not to, you know, produce a theory that her anger is causing these insane waves. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be so crazy. Like how crazy would that be, Caitlin, if like she, her anguish is causing the environment around them to change including the storm that comes from kylo emerging from the rain and like she has caused that it reminds me of the bendu it reminds me of like how he was able to transform into a storm and imagine if at this moment i'm jumping ahead of it i'm sorry but in this moment you know they reach an understanding ray and kylo and the waves just stop and it becomes like super serene and calm Mm-hmm. because everything is balanced once again and i don't know i just like i i see this in my head and I'm, they really just keep hyping this up and i'm just thinking about how the elements are going to change the environment's going to change and i think often about how uh, daisy in that behind the scenes video that they showed in vanity fair daisy had like a wire on i presume that she's going to be like lifted up I don't know what's going to happen with the force, but I, I think that something crazy is going to happen with the force. And I think that the the waves and the rain are related to that. I think that's a really great theory. I like that theory a lot about her, like her emotions and like Kylo's emotions too, presumably are having an impact on what's going on around them. And that's such an elevation like that, like that is taking her powers to like her abilities in the force to the next level. And really connecting her to the cosmic force. And I think it kind of gives new meaning to the people keep telling me they know me, but no one does because it's like people thought I could just lift rocks, but it's so much bigger than that. And that's like really scary. And Mm -hmm. like the only one who can do anything about it or who can understand it is Kylo and that's what he says, but I do. And maybe he like maybe he's going through the same thing too, or maybe he's not. And maybe he but like he did when he was young and he had this immense power inside of him. And people kept telling him that they know who he is, 
but no one did. And people mm-hmm. assumed that his choice was made, but it wasn't until Ray was the one who finally told him, you don't have like, take what did, God, why can't even, you're not alone. I was like, what's the line? <laughs> <laughs> How could you forget? I was like, take my hand. That's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you're not alone. And she outstretches his hand. Like, is it the same kind of moment? And you think about that whole thing, like, I don't know, like, imagine if this is taking place, like, after Dark Ray or or something like that. And she's, like, fully tapped into this dark side. But she, like, she's almost not sure how to let it go. Or, like, mm-hmm. the power is almost too tantalizing for her to let go of. Like, even though she knows that she has to, she doesn't know how to make herself do it. And this storm is raging on and the battle is raging on, too. And no one can reach her. And I think we see Finn presumably, possibly going after her, too. And, like, he's not afraid because he cares for Rey and loves her. But it's Kylo who's actually able to walk through the storm to get to her. And I don't know. I think think you're spot on, though. I think that the storm will stop once they stop battling. And I think even if it's not explicit that the that like she's controlling the elements perhaps, I think that that's the metaphor and like the symbolism that we should be drawing from that scene too. Yeah, absolutely. If if that doesn't come true, I think that it's just a reflection and that's why she's there and that's mm-hmm. why it is so wavy because yeah. of the mood that they're trying to evoke. Yeah, and even even like the the shot of both of them in the throne room at the end of the trailer too, it looks like it's after this moment and everything is calm now and there's this like haze, like this this sunsetty haze kind of around them as opposed to the the shot that we're talking about now that's super tumultuous and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that'd be really cool. I like the comparison you made with the Bendu about him and his elemental form yeah uh, we didn't talk about that but it was something on our weird force stuff episode but it's something that i upon when i was editing the show i thought about how the bendu is so connected in his you know the fact that he is neither good neither bad he's somewhere in the middle but he's not necessarily gray and i think that he had wanted to he wanted to uh sleep that was his whole thing (laughs) and he was disturbed and he produced a storm and like what Keelan was mentioning is that he that to me is so I don't know I feel like it is so representative of the force and like the symbiont nature and of course the Bendu would manifest as a storm because it's like the great equalizer um rain and uh I don't know thunder and lightning Yeah. yeah like violence but it definitely it is the great equalizer it 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 renews so you can't not think of something similar to that when you see the rain the waves the water all these things and of course i'm going to mention it baptism Baptism. you always have to like whenever whenever you take like english 101 it's always like oh you see fire okay phoenix rising oh you see water okay baptism how long are they in there do they come up when they emerge what does it look like all these kind of things and i think you can draw the same sort of parallels here where like i said they keep uh you know pumping this up in the marketing it's like everywhere it appears on the poster like ray and kylo on the poster and then it appears again in the bottom (laughs) of the poster it's on the the 
not the theatrical poster, teaser poster. I don't know what that poster that they revealed at D23 is technically, but that poster. <laughs> and it's just everywhere. And to me, I'm like, something happens here. And to me, I, I can't not think that it is the transformation scene of, okay, so both of these characters in their anger, in their anguish, something happens that makes them work together or move the a different direction that they started in. And that's why I think that it's a or it's a renewal, it's a cleansing, it's a sort of baptism of sorts of Kylo emerging all wet and then Ray also all wet. I just feel like it it's happening. We saw a similar baptism scene if this is your first time listening with uh Ray in the dark side cave in Octo when she dunks right in mm-hmm. and jumps in i think that you when in, when she emerges it is a classic cinema trope a literary trope of a renewed understanding and sure enough that's exactly what she gets in in the cave even if it, she would have thought it was understandable but yet later when she's re- recalling these emotions to kylo she gets the assurance that she needs that she's uh, not alone and they were able to in that moment bounce the force hence the the force theme. So to me, I'm like, something big is going to happen here <laughs> that will rival that moment because, you know, they are going through a transformation. Yeah, it, it is transformative. And even just that moment in The Last Jedi in the cave, she comes out without her buns. And yes. she looks different. She goes through this experience. And it's crazy because this will be them going through it together, like weathering the storm together, literally. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. I know, wow. right? <laughs> I love them <laughs> so much. Me too. Like, just the most powerful ship. <laughs> it's like, just everything good. It's just amazing. It's just, I, it just so much tension. So much, like, metaphorical symbolism. <laughs> I'm just, like, overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I just, I can't get over how, like, honestly romantic it feels. And I remember when those images first came out in Vanity Fair and everyone was talking about, you know, it's just like Pirates of the Caribbean. It looks just the same with Will and Elizabeth and they get married in the middle of the storm, this union in the middle of the storm. I love that so much. Yeah. And it's one of – it's some of the best romantic moments, I think, out there. It's like it's so good. It's so heightened. It's not just them kissing in the middle of the battle. It's them getting married. (laughs) Well, here we have Kylo literally say, I can't, I, I can't handle it, guys. He literally says, okay, so she goes, people keep telling me they know me. No one does. And Kylo goes, but I do. Like, okay, are we really supposed to just ignore the fact that he says I do? Like, I think that's <laughs> hilarious. And hilarious in the sense that, like, classic. Yeah, that's... Star Wars would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's just like, it. it's... And the way he, like, emerges from the mist, I mean, again, Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Darcy, emerging from the mist. (laughs) I know. It's just, again, we talk about this all the time with the end of The Last Jedi and Revenge of the Sith. It's like, these visual parallels are very specific. You can't, you, you have to ask why. Why was Ryan Johnson paralleling the breakup of a married couple with the union of these two characters in The Last Jedi. Why? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and then, you know, 
to have a scene like that, and and Mr. Darcy is not the only romantic lead that has emerged from the mist, or you know, it's the the knight on the stallion that comes in, you know, what uh, on a white horse or something like that. Like this is something that has been seen in many iterations and many different romantic tropes and storylines and everything like that. It's like at the last possible second, the prince shows up. But what's great about Star Wars is that it's like the prince shows up, but, but he's not there to solely save the day. I think one of the great things about Rey and Kylo is that they need each other. It's it's always equal with them and what the, in what they give and take from one another. It's never one giving more or taking more from the other. They definitely go through their ups and downs, don't get me wrong. Like The Last Jedi is chock full of that, but the like emotional moments that they have with each other are very level and their powers of course are very equal too. their emotions that they lash out at one another are unequal, but that happens in every relationship. (laughs) Someone's going to be angry at sometimes and someone's going to say hurtful things in another. And I definitely don't want to downplay the hurtful things that Kylo said, but I think that's all just a part of their relationship. And I like, it'd be such a great parallel if, you know, say that say that with my theory that Ray is like not trapped with the dark side in this moment, but is unable to kind of shake it. Like she's not mm-hmm. sure how to pull herself back to the light. And Kylo is the one to help her come back down from that. And like the there'd be this great parallel with The Last Jedi or this progression, I suppose, because at the end of The Last Jedi Kylo gives into that anger himself and Rey isn't able to help him let that go. Um, Because for Kylo, that's a choice that he needs to make for himself. But Mm -hmm. perhaps where we are in the film at this point, like maybe Rey and Kylo have already like professed their feelings for each other. And then she becomes lost to the dark side or can't shake it or whatever it looks like. And then at that point they are a couple, whether that's romantic or just like we're vanquishing the dark side together. And he gets to like help her in this moment. And I'm sure that she'll help him in another moment too, which that kind of seems like like what we see later on in the trailer. I don't know. I just, they balance each other so well. And I love the idea that they, their powers are equal and their understanding is equal. And and this is what everyone says about Ryan Kylo. They're the only ones that truly understand each other, understand the experience that they went through and understand what they saw in each other too. Mm-hmm. The future and the past and yeah. all of the versions of themselves. They're just – they're really good. And the contrast between them, like thinking about it now when we're discussing it, and we kind of talked about it in our reaction episode too, but like Ray, I, I, I keep getting struck by Ray's costume and like how white it is and how it's the same but very different from her other costumes that we've seen her in. And, you know, we make the parallel to Padme in her white Geonosis outfit and everything um, and Leia in her white A New Hope outfit and then there's Rey in her white outfit. But she's so angry. <laughs> like she's very <laughs> aggressive in this this costume that the color connotates like purity and virginity, honestly, and like marriage and bridal, but she's very angry. <laughs> and then we mm-hmm. have Kylo who is in all black, which of course has its own connotations with costuming. And, but he is pretty calm <laughs> throughout the whole thing. Throughout this entire trailer. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like, even when Ray says, you know, like people keep telling me they know me, no one does. She's, 
she's it's like it's aggressive how she says it it's it's mm-hmm. passive aggressive honestly and but even kylo's but i do is confident and collected and assuring yes yeah for sure I, in that moment i interpret it as kylo reassuring ray's own sense of belonging that in that moment i assume ray is questioning everything she is and that no one could possibly understand her because of the power she holds, whoever she is, you know, anything like that, right? Yeah. And here we have a character who's like, well, I understand you better than anyone else. We're the same. You know, you have your struggles and I have mine, but we're forever bonded by something that we will never be able to shake. And I I don't know, it's just so powerful. And to, that's how I interpreted it because to me it's like it's a universal feeling of like no one understands me Mm -hmm. absolutely no one and i think that it's only heightened in fiction here obviously when we have our protagonist who's like struggling with magical powers and all these things Mm -hmm. right and who knows what's happening with her magical powers like she could be able to not even use them you know and here she is like potentially doubting herself or thinking so le- low of herself, like I think that everyone listening right now could pro- could probably name a moment that they felt like that. And here we have Kylo being like, "Well, I understand you," mm-hmm. because Kylo has seen those lowest lows and those highest highs. Because of course he has, and of course not only have has he experienced them themselves, but he's felt them in the Force through Ray because they are intrinsically linked. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder... Oh, your ship could never. (laughs) Your your ship could never on an actual ship. (laughs) Unless you're Will and Elizabeth. True. They're literally the only comparison. True. 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 It's amazing. It's really good. I know I've seen some people talk about this theory too about... And this kind of goes along with the theory of Ray and Kylo having had visions of each other for a long time before they ever actually met. But maybe at this point, they're starting to even feel the things that one another are feeling too. Like when they feel... When one of them feels pain or is injured or something like that, you know, like taking it even a step further. And I wonder if maybe that's... I don't know. That was part of his calling card how he got to wherever Ray is in that moment. Or he was with the First Order and he's like arriving there because all the First Order is and they're like battling, you know? I don't know. That's not really the vibe I get, but I'm sure the First Order (laughs) – I'm getting more of a matrimonial vibe, but that's just me. (laughs) That's just me. No. Interpret as you will. (laughs) Um, I'm sure the First Order is there or maybe is coming. I don't I don't know, I know. that's what I'm thinking. like if they're on like if this is like Palpatine parade in this time just, maybe the first order isn't there yet yeah I mean just to fast forward to mention the fact that Finn and Janna are galloping on Orbax on top of a star destroyer and I'm like who's star destroyer who's driving because <laughs> who has a driver's license for this thing isn't it expired i'm just like yeah basically because i'm like okay so in this trailer we haven't seen the first order at all and we don't see it we don't see them we only see the main foe which is palpatine and i think it's just crazy like are is everyone going against palpatine (laughs) including the first order i'm not sure how i feel about that message but like no but seriously though because it is the greatest fight yeah and and it, it reminds me of that line that Maz says, it's like the only fight between the, the 
the the Sith and the you know all these things. You know, there's only one fight, the only fight. And I'm like, oh, will that happen? Because that's crazy. You know what that would parallel to again? What? Lion King two. Oh my god! It's yeah. <laughs> you guys don't know this. Lion King two is a blueprint for Raylo. <laughs> It really is. It's, it's so great. ridiculous, but it is. And at the end, it's the dumbest parallel, it's, but, but it's, it's so the most good. accurate. People will try to tell you that it's Beauty and the Beast. No, or Pride and Prejudice. I don't know. I think the no, most I'm, I'm being smart here. Strange magic. It's, strange you're magic. Right, it's strange magic. George Lucas's masterpiece. Strange magic. Strange magic. Yeah, it is strange magic, actually. But Lion King Two is also right up there, and you have Kovu who lives with the dark side, and Kira, who lives with the light side. They fall in love. They get together. They're, like, racing against time because both, like, the dark lions and the light lions, they're battling in the rain, in this storm. (laughs) And Kovu and Kira, which, remember, (laughs) Ray's original name was Kira. (laughs) They're racing against the clock to go and get them to like stop the war, basically. And they get there, and like Kovu's aunt, who was kind of the ringleader behind everything, she ends up dying. And then all of the lions stop fighting, and they all look at each other and they're like, We're not so different after all. There's a thin line that separates us. We're all just human lions. (laughs) (laughs) We're all just human. With humans with human emotions, but we're also lions. (laughs) And then they literally all sit around like a campfire and are happy. I just think that it's just interesting, though, this idea that potentially everyone is going to be up against Palpatine. I don't know if I agree with that message. And I think there's a lot to like sort out for that. But we didn't see the First Order at all. We didn't see pride, which I think is interesting. No Hux, nothing. Where is Hux? I know. Stage in a kill. So next we have the TIE fighters approaching this ice planet slash city. I say city because if you look really closely, you can see like Mm -hmm. a city left corner. I'm just not sure if it's like part of, yeah, in the middle too, if it's part of the planet itself or like, I don't know. It reminds me of the, in the teaser, there's a shot of a ship going down into uh, like a town. Mm -hmm. I assume it's there. Later we get some shots of, Ray, Finn, and Poe all wearing coats, which <laughs> in my reaction video, I was like, jackets. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked at those two. I was like, those are so cool. I want one. You had pointed this out, though, and we had talked about this in our reaction, but it just kind of bears repeating that it, I love the mirror imagery. I just can't get over it. Back to what we were talking about before about how Ray and Kylo are each other's mirror opposites and yet are each other's reflections. And I, I think that Again, here we have this this place that is a mirror reflection, I guess, or an iceberg, which is small on the top or large on the bottom, which I guess also mm. holds its own metaphorical significance. It's just the tip of, of the iceberg. Yes, which is an interesting thing if you apply that to Palpatine, who you know has been kind of, I think, sowing his seed of dark side throughout the entire sequel trilogy, only to emerge at the end. And you could see like everything that he has amassed, like his contingency plan, his Sith, uh, the Sith troopers, I guess, or potentially could be Palpatines, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. I wonder if this is where pride is. Yeah, I don't know. 
I'm so intrigued by this planet. Yeah, I think it's it, it looks really cool. It looks crystal clear. I think it's cool too thinking about like if the, if this is Palpatine's planet and where his contingency plan kicks off that, you know, ice frozen, frozen in carbonite like preserved. It's interesting. Mhm. So after that, we have a shot that zooms in on Palpatine's throne, probably his throne. Um, we use the word presumably a lot in this Google Doc. <laughs> presumably, mm-hmm. it's Palpatine's throne, and presumably we're on the ice planet still. Uh, but the throne has Sith imagery, and it has spider vibes. It's got Mother Talzin vibes. It's uh, very Sith. And this throne has actually been conceptualized since Return of the Jedi. Um, Phil Sosak tweeted photos of some of those concept arts. I was able to look at them in my awesome Star Wars archive book myself. I was super excited about that. Um, And they were there. But what I think is cool is in the concept arts and stuff, the Palpatine's throne, because he was originally supposed to be in this throne. And one of the drafts was that Luke, like Vader took Luke to Palpatine's like to Palpatine's boudoir, basically, and to his uh, temple, I suppose. But then George moved them all to the Death Star because he was like, then you can just kill them all at once. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But Palpatine's original like throne room and everything, it was set on this lava planet, which I think is really, you know, obviously you think about Mustafar and stuff like that. But then you think about what we're seeing here. And if it is on the ice planet, that's the complete opposite uh, which I kind of think makes more sense if we do think about the connotations of ice as frozen and frozen in time and and preservative as well. So, and I think that the design of the of the throne itself is very clear that it comes from these concepts that were from Ralph Macquarie way back when. But it it gives you like it has the vibe of evil, and that's definitely what they're going for. Totally. I think the next shot is really cool. Um, It's ships emerging from either ice or water, which, like you said, I had never really considered this preservation element, which is like literally what you do for work. But I think it's (laughs) I just think it's funny that like, I don't know, the fact that it's that I had never considered that until you brought it up about like the encasement, the idea of like things being perfectly uh preserved in ice underneath and it's it's unclear to me if it's ice or water but i'm even thinking like levitating ships emerging from the water like imagine if that's being done through the force because then no object is uh too big you know and maybe palpatine is doing that and imagine that image that would be so haunting if all of a sudden you get these kind of ghost ships emerging from the water from Palpatine, from Kylo, from Rey, who knows what what is happening. Wow. And but it's not by their own like engine volition because I'm sure that they don't have any of that. Wow. You know? Yeah. Well, you think about in Rebels and stuff when Maul is trying to get Ezra to be his apprentice and he keeps saying, like, we have to do it together. We have to do it together. And they're going through the Sith Temple and everything in the Sith Temple is a test of master and apprentice working together. Uh, which is interesting thinking about the Sith Temple like promoting teamwork, but it did. Well, it d- did it because it all it did was promote teamwork in order to enforce the rule of two, which eventually you're supposed to kill your master for ultimate power. Yeah, but you have to work together to get the holocron. It's weird. You know, yes. the Sith, the Sith, and he- it is just like what Freddie Prince Jr. said is that it's totally Sisyphusian, of like it, it really is. <laughs> 
just has no means to an end. It's been like four days since I've watched that. I need to. I know. It really gives me life. Watch it again. Yes. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, Freddie Prince Jr., who played Kanan on Rebels, he basically went on this fabulous rant where he explained Star Wars in the most in a very profane manner, but in a very accurate manner too. <laughs> and I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but you should definitely look it up. Just like I feel like if you Google Freddie Prince Jr. Star Wars rant, it'll come up. So just going to do that. Yeah, I think that's kind of – I hadn't really thought about Palpatine using Ray and Kylo and or Ray and Kylo to make that happen because I was almost picturing it like – they're confronting Palpatine, like Rey is confronting Palpatine, Kylo, whoever it is, some combination are confronting him. And Palpatine's like, what do you, like, you've already lost. Like, you have no idea what I can do. And then without even moving, suddenly we zoom out from the throne room or wherever they are. And the resistance is confronted with all of these ghost ships just rising out of the ocean. And Rey or whoever's in there looks around and is like, oh, <laughs> And Palpatine, yeah, Palpatine's not even doing anything, but it's still happening. What if the line that comes next, which is, long have I waited, and now you're coming together, is your undoing, is when Palpatine and sees Rey and Kylo together, the, the perfect balance, and he's able to harness that power to enforce those ships from the water. Oh, he's able to, like, manipulate them at the same time and thus... Yes, because we know that the Force Bond can be manipulated. <sighs> I'm scared. Oh boy. Well, I just I I'm sure that Palpatine is going to use like any sort of connection that Ray and Kylo have against each other because that's exactly what he did for Anakin and Padme. Like it continues to happen. Yeah. Any sort of connection, any sort of romantic involvement, any sort of relationship will be used against you by Palpatine. So, of course, how crazy would it be if it was in a force sense? My God. Are we going to have to sit through scenes of, like, Kylo being like, Ray, like, you have to kill me. Like, you have to end this because – Yes, Caitlin. That's what we're going to sit through. (laughs) We're going to sit through that. We're just going to keep using us against each other. And, like, the only way this ends is if, like, he can't use our power together. It's the only way. Caitlin! It's like, you kill me so that you can kill Palpatine? Yeah, and Ray's like, I can't do it, and Kylo's like, Fine, I'll do it myself. Or it's like, it's like a hug, but then he like stabs himself while they're hugging. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh, it's like Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones. Yeah, the one hundred, <laughs> the one hundred has a scene like that too. Man, that's exactly what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, I hate it. I hate it, <laughs> but I kind of love it. But then. <laughs> But then Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> yeah, that has to happen. Oh, man. So in our trailer reaction, I pulled from the Revenge of the Sith novelization, but I pulled the wrong quote. So I have the correct quote. Um, now, in when we were talking about like going back to the relationships and stuff, Palpatine – It's interesting because in all of those relationships, Palpatine manipulates the connection, but he also separates – the the duo, whether it's Anakin and Padme or Anakin and Obi-Wan, in order to seed doubt in there. And he sets a trap for Obi-Wan on Utapau. And the way that it's described in the Avengers Death novelization is just great. And it kind of makes me wonder if we'll see something similar to that. Again, like 
Palpatine knowing that they're connected. And well, I mean, it's like what Snoke says to Rey in The Last Jedi, like, you were too weak to resist the bait. And if Rey wasn't mm-hmm. baited, if Rey was baited in The Last Jedi, she's sure going to be baited in <laughs> The Rides of Skywalker. Or Kylo is too. And Palpatine could say the same thing. Like, I knew you'd come for her. Of course you would. And now it's going to be your undoing. Oh man! Yeah. So the but in the in the Revenge of the Sith, he separates Obi Wan and Anakin because he knows that they are actually powerful together, and he knows that about Rey and Kylo too. But I think you're spot on that he's going to use the bond. He's going to manipulate the bond just like Snoke did. Anyway, the the part in Revenge of the Sith novelization is on page three thirty in chapter fifteen, and it basically just says. As has been said, the textbook example of a Jedi trap is the one that was set on Utapau for Obi-Wan Kenobi, and it worked perfectly. And he goes through how you created, like, a win-win situation. And then the end it goes, um, and the final stroke of perfection is to organize the Jedi trap so that by walking into it at all, the Jedi has already lost. That is to say, a Jedi trap works best when one's true goal is merely to make sure that the Jedi in question spends some hours or days off somewhere on the far side of the galaxy so that he won't be around to interfere with one's real plans so that by the time he can return, it will already be too late. I don't know. Like, you think about that and you're like, oh, what if that's like Ray? Like, that is to say that a Jedi trap for Rey works best when one's true goal is to merely make sure that the Jedi in question, Rey, is far away and not interfering with part of Palpatine's real plans, which is to get rid of the Resistance so that he can take over. But he's also got to get rid of Rey and Kylo, too. Hmm, interesting. And when you say far away, do you mean location-wise or does it have to be location-wise? I don't... Could it be distracted by some sort of thing? Yeah. Maybe this is where Dark dark Ray fits into it in terms of like a sort of possession nature, something like yeah, that? Yeah, I think so. Especially when you think about World Between Worlds and you think about what Dave Filoni has said about that when he talked about Ezra and Yoda and he was like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't actually matter where Ezra and Yoda are physically. It's where they believe they are. And so mm-hmm. I think that that could definitely come into play because if if Palpatine sets the trap for like say Ray to come to like confront him on her own, and he manipulates the bond, gets Kylo there, perhaps through a casual blood sacrifice, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> and he harnesses their power together, which is their undoing. He gets all of the ships that have been frozen. And he uses them to start killing off the resistance, which is his plan too. But because he has Ray and Kylo there, Ray can't actually be with the resistance helping them. Right. I don't know. It could happen. Who knows? Because this trailer certainly didn't give me a clear understanding of plot. No, not at all. I mean, I, I think I understand some tension, but definitely not plot, which I think is good. I'm excited to be ex- like uh, going fresh for that. Yes, definitely. Okay, so next we have a shot of the Falcon in front of like so, 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 so many ships, including potentially the Ghost. It's very exciting. And I've seen this set on the internet and I'm just going to bear repeating here. If you have a favorite ship, it's probably there. <laughs> and I think it's so cool. I Except love that for the Colossus. <laughs> I mean, Caitlin, you just don't know. Maybe know, they're not going to have it away. Maybe they're still animating that. Okay. I'm just I'm just saying. You know, I hope it's a very tight shot. It is a tight shot. I do think that that's obviously like it's gonna zoom out and we're gonna see the full breadth of whatever fleet they've assembled there. 
Mm-hmm. And it's unless the Colossus is like low key destroyed in the show Resistance, which I will cry. <laughs> um, I think it's likely that we'll see it. It doesn't make sense why they wouldn't. It's like you already have the design for this ship. Just I feel like that saves you time and money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to just translate it into the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> so true. I also think no. that maybe that would be a spoiler for what happens in the show, which only has one more season left, you know? Like, I think that yeah. they're not going to give it away here. I think it would be cool if they did, but they didn't. Okay. And there's You're still right. room. You're right. I just have to say, Caitlin and I both said this on the phone to each other yesterday. The Falcon looks so cool in this one shot. <laughs> like, the way it just is – it is – I used the word animated before. I think that's the right I said it, it looks like it's on hydraulics. Yes, it looks it looks very real. I feel like we've reached final form of any sort of special effects that we've ever gotten with the Falcon. And it just looks like, wow, someone's driving that. That's how I can look at it, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. It does look very fluid, which the Falcon always does. But it looked, it looked especially crisp. In this shot, truly, <laughs> I think that's the whole way I can describe this trailer. Is like it looks very crisp, it looks very jewel tone. That's the aesthetic, but yeah, it did look really great. And this is now what, like the dozenth time that we brought up the actual ships. I don't know who we are anymore. Who are we? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like immediately, like one of the first things we saw on the phone was like, "Didn't the Falcon look amazing?" Like what? <laughs> Because I remember when when Solo came out and everyone was like, oh, the Falcon looks different. And I was like, it does. <laughs> but now oh, you notice yeah, the, the dish. Yeah. How crazy is it? No, the first thing I noticed in this trailer when they showed it, I was like, oh, it has the round dish again. I'm like, what? Why am I thinking about this? I never used to be like this. This is what happens when my head is way too deep in Star Wars. I know. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Honestly. Is it ridiculous or is it fun? It's just fun. It's, it's both. It's just hilarious because we've spent like all of our lives being like, that's just not our our area. <laughs> and suddenly we're like, oh, the Falcon hydraulics, like super clean. Like, look at its motion. Looks like someone's driving it. The disc is back. Is that the ghost back there? Is the Tantive Four? It's got to be. You know what job. this is us tapping into within ourselves? <laughs> our expertise when it comes to like animation. That we definitely don't have. Yeah, when we're just like, oh my gosh, like look at the water, the fluid, the fluidness (laughs) of the water, the animated water. Man, it's so hard. Wow, when the hair moves. Yeah, (laughs) the hair moves. It's like that. We're so annoying about that kind of stuff that now we've become like that about ships. It's great. Oh, we got it. We got to rein it in because <laughs> I think for a while we were like, we're so cool with our animation knowledge. And now I'm like, we're so cringy thinking that we know anything. <laughs> we know nothing. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of how I feel like we're about to go through the uh, same pattern, but with ships. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So then we have the shot that we saw in the teaser promo of Ray, Chewie, Finn, Poe, and 3PO in the cockpit of the Falcon. Very exciting shot. Ray looks very happy. I have to think this is in the beginning of the movie. I like how Poe looks towards the pilot seat, like, ever so briefly. But I wonder if there was a conversation about who was flying. That's kind of why I think it's in the beginning or maybe yeah. close at the end. But I think that it's pointed that you're supposed to think that Ray is the one that's flying the Falcon in the shot because it goes from the shot of all the ships to, like, directly inside of the Falcon. But I'm not so sure if I believe that. I think that there's a co- like a lot of different people who could be flying the Falcon in yeah, the I giant space battle. 
Yeah, I do too. So the next piece we see is kind of presumably again going back to a shot from earlier in the trailer, which is Ray and Kylo fighting on top of the Death Star slash Star Destroyer, which is in the water. Except as we talked about in our reaction, it doesn't really look like they're fighting. It looks more like sparring. Mm-hmm. And I can't get over that it just doesn't it doesn't seem as ferocious as we've definitely seen them fighting before. And it doesn't look We've been talking about Rey as being super aggressive this whole time, but I don't really get that vibe even from her side of the fight or the battle. So I'm really interested to see, like, because we've talked before, we've theorized before about this battle, like this water battle or Rey and Kylo's battle progressing from, like, super, like, intense in the beginning and then them, like, yelling out their feelings and then coming to an understanding at the end of it, you know, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and kind of going through this progression in the battle. So I wonder if that is something that we're seeing and we're kind of seeing, like, the middle of it. I don't know. It just like something feels off about it. And I don't know if that's my bias to this story creeping in. But you look at the like you you think about Revenge of the Sith promotional material and how they completely hyped up Anakin and Obi-Wan's duel. And that looks so intense. Like you can tell there's anger and those emotions that comes across very clearly in the battle. And I don't know if I think that comes across in this shot. Yeah, I'm just not sure. I we've talked about it. I I just I can't totally say that the battle is fueled by anger. Um, And I wonder if they're training. I also in the back of my mind, I haven't mentioned it. But even with like the running and all this like intense workout stuff, I just wonder if Ray's even trying to kick into action the force bond. And like, are they just trying to do something that kicks into action? Whatever. I don't I don't know what it is, you know? Mm hmm. Okay, so the next shot then is something explodes in space. Yeah, what? I don't know. And that's that on that on that. Uh And then we have a ship, possibly a B-wing. Everyone loves a good B-wing, so they say, skidding along the water on its way to the Death Star. Do we think that there's someone important inside or is it just another fighter? I'm going to guess that it's Finn. That's Mm comes from nothing i just feel like <laughs> I love that i think that it's finn just because he then run finn and Jana, because then when they're running when he's running onto the mm-hmm. death star in a late shot i'm like how did he get there maybe it's maybe it's finn and Jana. i don't know that's a that's a good theory i like that i like theories that are built on absolutely nothing yeah i, I we need more of those those are the ones we should put money on like a lottery yeah. totally so. Okay, so next we have little tiny Babu Frick working on the back of 3PO. The thing about Babu Frick is I I see no malice there. I just think he's doing his job. <laughs> like he's just like a little tiny cutie with like kind oh, of a little boy. smile. You know? Yeah. Like I, I don't I don't think he's evil. I just no. think that he's I think he's helping the resistance crew plus Zori Bliss. Confusing. Yeah, it is confusing. So in this scene, we get the truly epic tear-jerking line that I've watched so many reactions, guys, and everyone has a reaction to this. This is like it's like it's just so much. Even no matter what you think of 3PO, if you've found him annoying for nine movies, I'm talking about Caitlin. <laughs> you can't <laughs> I really like 3PO in The Last Jedi. This... So I think we should say seven. Okay, seven movies. <laughs> I 
I feel like this, you can, everyone recognizes that 3PO is such a symbol, like the storyteller of Star Wars. And so the line, which is, Poe, what are you doing there, 3PO? <laughs> and 3PO goes, taking one last look, sir, at my friends. And I mean, the music is brilliant. The pause is brilliant. Everything about that scene I don't know. It was like, I'm sure that they optioned a couple of different like tear jerking moments for this trailer. And that one to me really did pull, pull at the right heartstrings. And I I cried for sure. Yes. I, I'm i wondering what he's looking at. Obviously, I think a lot of us are wondering that. Whatever this, it, it feels like that's the chip that Z- Zori Bliss had that we saw in a photograph uh, that was released in EW or Entertainment. Um, and I I saw some people talking about like what if he's looking at memories of Anakin and Obi Wan and Padme in there too? Was like to tell them. Whoa, 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 whoa! I have never considered this. You think that he's like in in his mind looking through like a lexicon of all his memories? Yeah, like maybe those are the friends he's talking about. Wow, Caitlin, I thought he was talking about Poe, Finn, Ray, and everyone there. Are Ray and three PO friends? I don't know. That's exactly what I thought. I don't. I, I've. I had not considered this, and I'm gonna guess that a lot of people listening had not considered that he was like running through like a scrapbook memory of all the the people. Well, I, what if someone has like? Okay. All right. Here's my theory now. Okay. So three PO's mind gets wiped in Revenge of the Sith, but what if it's not wiped? It's just removed. And yeah. it's stored on, like, a flash drive, basically. And it's, like, we need to know oh – my God. Like, I feel like – okay. Everyone's, like – so history has been changed. The The Empire and the First Order probably got rid of everything about Palpatine from the Age of the Republic and there's only rumors. This is what I've been talking about. Like, my God, I'm so attached to this theory in my head now. Like, this whole time, like, whenever we talk about Rey and Finn, and especially them in The Force Awakens, it's always like, how do they know what they know? <laughs> because Rey is like, oh, like, Han Solo, he was a smuggler. And Finn's like, he was a rebellion a, a, leader. Yeah, a war general. Yeah, and like a like a traitor too. And like Ray has this idea of the force. Finn has no idea of the force. And then you have these kids out there who like somehow heard about Luke Skywalker in whatever amount of time between Luke Skywalker's death on Crate and whenever the kids on Canto Bite find out about it. So Zori Bliss has found this thing, this relic from Alderaan that is C3PO's memories of everything that happened in the prequel trilogy from the from his creation on Tatooine to Anakin's rescue to his relationship with Padme to witnessing their marriage to seeing the destruction of the Republic of the Galactic Senate the rise of Palpatine he's the one that can go back through history and say like this is how Palpatine did it this is who he really is and he's going to see everything else and then Rey is going to be the one like what if Ray's the one that actually finds out about who Anakin was and she's the one that tells Kylo? Oh, my and God. Like, well, well, she knows because she said that to Luke. Everyone she does, knows. But, but everyone knows, like, who, like, 
But does everyone, again, like, does everyone know? I mean, everyone knows, but how much do they know? Like, they know that Darth Vader was Luke and Leia's father and that Luke saved him. Like, that story obviously gets out. But do they know who Anakin was in the prequel trilogy and, like, how exactly he fell and how he was manipulated? Like, like, I feel like people maybe just think that, like, Anakin turned to the dark side, but they don't have this whole story that Palpatine, like, sought after Anakin for his whole life. And... Imagine, like, if Rey is able to tell Kylo that of, like, the same, like, what Snoke did to you, that's what Palpatine did to Anakin. And, like, I've seen it. I know, like, that's where you come from. And Mm -hmm. there's so much you don't know. And maybe, like, possibly that, like, even Leia never really knew herself. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is totally a viable theory. I feel like that's what's going to – I'm set on that. Good. Good. <laughs> I'm I'm set on it. Yeah, I think like yeah, I think Zori Bliss happens across this memory chip of C3PO's that it's on the Tantive 4. Wow. It could be. That's what I was saying before about like the the location of like where he got his mind wiped. Yeah, it's on the Tantive 4 and they put it but I swear to god if it's just been like chilling in R2 this whole time as well. <laughs> I would honestly laugh at that. I would not laugh. <laughs> it would be so uh, funny if R2 was sitting on that, that piece of information for so long stupid. and like and barring 3PO from any <laughs> any joy <laughs> that he felt from before. Yeah. Because I was thinking about this honestly while I was looking at the archive book about um the Star Wars archive book and I was in like Return of the Jedi timeline. And I like didn't take time to actually go through their time on Endor because I was looking more at, like Palpatine and, and that section of things. But, you know, like they've always posited like the whole framing device of Star Wars in the beginning, like really hardcore was that this is 3PO and R2 telling you this story. And even in Return of the Jedi, 3PO is the one who's telling the story of their adventures, which is so ironic because in A New Hope, he's like, oh, I'm not very good at stories because Luke is like, oh, have you seen some battle and stuff like that? And 3PO has, but that memory has been gone from him. And like he says, he's not very good at stories, but he is the one who rescues them as part of their rescue and return of the Jedi. And now at the end, he finally gets to go back to the very beginning and tell the story of where he came from, which is where the Skywalkers came from. The story lives forever. The story lives forever because C-3PO got his memories back. That would be great. I love that. Whew. All right. Signing off. Let's start the Skywalker. <laughs> okay. So the next shot we get is the Resistance crew all looking. We see Zori Bliss there. I just think it's interesting that Zori's there. That's all I'm going to say about that because I don't really have any theories or anything unless you do. And no, basically I'm what theoried, you just said. I'm, I'm theoried out. Like, with of that one, yeah. <laughs> through through Bio, like took over. <laughs> we still have a lot of the trailer left. This trailer is chock full. <laughs> okay, so then next we have. I thought this was interesting too. Like they they have like three Bio basically signing off, and they have another shot of three Bio putting his arm on R two D two, and it looks like a totally different shot. I sent this earlier to Caitlin, and I was freaking out because I thought that someone in the back had on like Jedi garb, but it really was just Resistance garb. So that's just what I get for you know assuming that all Jedi like wear <laughs> like <laughs> I I don't know. It just it's very similar. Thought that was interesting. It's funny, yeah. Um, and then you have a shot of Chewie roaring. 
which is always good. And then you have Poe. I thought this was an interesting shot too. Poe, Finn, and Chewie going down um, a very like original trilogy-esque, actually more like Starkiller Base-esque um, First Order hallway, shooting down stormtroopers. To me, I just am getting worried that they're going to totally blank and not resolve the fact that Finn is potentially shooting his friends. And I'm just I'm getting a little concerned that they're just gonna like completely forget that underneath this sequel trilogy is an amazing story of the fact that they have the first order has stolen children for a generation, and Finn was one that got out a defector, and there has to be more of those kind of people. And I think that that's like a microcosm of you can always be like you can always change your path like that's star wars in a nutshell and i am worried that they're not going to be able to show that and this is just my anxieties showing that like i really wanted the stormtrooper uprising to happen but i just haven't been given a reason to think it is despite the fact that the introducing of the sith the sith troopers which look visually different than regular first order troopers which could present a divide in an easy like an easily understandable visual cue for general audiences to understand who's good and who's bad again I just feel like I just am worried that here we have a shot. This is like a two second shot and I'm like uh, monologuing about it, but I'm just worried that here we have Poe and Finn shooting down stormtroopers who could have potentially been Finn's friends this entire time. Yeah. I've always liked the stormtrooper uprising, but I think from the beginning, that's been my worry with it is about the time yeah. and how they would fit it in. But I think you're right. I think it is an opportunity lost. Um, but who knows? Maybe it will end up like the end of Lion King 2, and it's like they all take off their helmets, and then they all go to a barbecue together. It could happen. You never know. <laughs> it could happen. It's like it's like now the war is over, and then they, the ones who are left, it's like then Finn is the one. Like everyone else is like, oh, send them, you know, get rid of them, whatever, banish them, whatever it is. Finn's like, no, they they can have a choice. Because I was given an opportunity to prove myself, they should be given the same. I wonder if it'd be something like that that I say shoehorned, but is kind of brought up at the end so that there is that it's implied that that happens, but Some there's not. Closure. Yeah, there's not time to like for that to be a B plot. I really hope. I just, I still am just kind of holding out hope though, because I do think that it's also interesting just in this like reflective manner that even with the. Introdu- introduction of the prequels with the clones being on the good side and then turning bad. I just think how cool would it be is that we have the clones kind of starting off and like this who are they? Why were they created? Okay, the Jedi are going to use them, the Jedi are good. And then the clones themselves get corrupted and have to carry out an order they have no choice in, no part in. And then of course you have some like defectors which you see in in rebels and the clone wars and all these great you know extra ancillary materials but then we have the stormtroopers again equals bad in the original trilogy but wouldn't it be interesting is if you have this you know kind of complicated story where you have stormtrooper equal bad again in the beginning of uh, the sequel trilogy but then it, it reverts back to you know these people are people too they're yet they're not just faceless mindless brainless um soldiers yeah, especially because they're not clones. Exactly. And they made a point of saying that. And I, I feel like I'm just, you know, harping on this over and over again. But I do think that uh, Star Wars is a problem with, with the fact that they introduced that and they need to somehow morally resolve it. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think it'll be kind of something in passing at the end after the war is over, but I would be really happy to see it as like B plot in there because I think you're right, it works with the differentiation between the Sith troopers and what their deal is. And again, we've got these moving pieces within it's like it's hard when you're going through an analysis like this of a trailer because the trailer is leaping out a lot of big things that we know are in the movie, like the Sith troopers, like Dark Ray, like Hux and Pride. And when you go back and start thinking about all these moving pieces within the First Order itself from Palpatine, Kylo, like <laughs> Kylo was not at all what the First Order doesn't look like he is at all. Um, and then Hux and Pride and what they're doing, where their motivations and loyalties really lie. And then you've got the, all these troopers in the middle of it. Like, that's a recipe for disaster for the First Order. And so while it seems like there are many disparate parts within the First Order, we've got a growing resistance. So... Yeah, all that to say, things do not look good. And I think the Stormtrooper Uprising, I like Stormtrooper Uprising. And you're right, it needs it needs to be addressed in some form or fashion somewhere. <laughs> so next we have BB-8 helping Poe and Finn kind of skid away in their speeder on Pisano, which seems like a really fun scene. We also have Leia and Rey hug, which we saw in a previous um, trailer slash teaser. Um, and then we hear Luke say, confronting fear it's the destiny of the jedi your destiny i love this line what do you think about it i think it's i think it's really good i think it's it's it very much falls in line with like the yoda arc um and also like luke's own cave scene and ray's cave scene too they've already gone through those moments together it's really kylo who is kind of living in his fear, I think. I don't even think if you would describe it as fear. This this line is so hard <laughs> because it's like, who is Luke talking to? How is he talking to them? Maybe it's part of Ray's fear and confronting Kyla herself, confronting her feelings for him or what their role is in all of this or even her specifically what her role is within the resistance and within the galaxy at large. And who is Luke talking to? Is it one of them, both of them together? Does he say it to each of them? I don't know. I I think it's both of them. I think it's both Ray and Kylo. Yeah. And I think it's it's uh, a thousand generations live in you now. This is your fight. I think it's I think it's both of them. Yeah. And maybe that's just me looking at things through like rose colored glasses because that's what I want to see. And I would totally it totally makes sense that it would just be Ray. But if I do, if they really are hammering home this idea of balance, I think that also makes sense for Luke to have that sort of reconciliation that he needs with his nephew. Um, yeah. If at this point, you know, Ben has made amends. And I think that the way things were left with Ben and Luke, I think we'll <laughs> think to see each other again, kid, you know, and I think that it'll happen. And I'm just wondering how it happens and i think that maybe it's this motivational speech before they go up against palpatine it just confuses me where dark ray fits into all this dark ray is really the enigma. the wild card yeah, yeah. It, really, it really is yeah i just because on one hand i'm like oh that scene like kylo's coming to her while she's in the throes of dark ray it's like maybe it's not. Maybe this is all part of their – some of our early theories about this was that they're training together and they're keeping their training hidden 
because they're trying to hide that they're actually on the same team from Palpatine. I don't know. I think it's it's a good line and it brings it's not about squashing that fear or ignoring it. It is about confronting it, which falls in line a lot with that uh, mantra from Dooku Jedi Lost too. Yes. About walking into the light, acknowledging the dark, and finding a greater balance. Yes, acknowledging the dark. I think it is fantastic because I don't think that this was the destiny of the Jedi in the prequel times. Confronting fear no. was not something that they wanted to do because they didn't want to be blinded by fear. But here we have Luke saying that in, you must confront the fear. It's the only way to mm-hmm. you know carry on the Jedi, the Jedi Order, whatever. It's your destiny. Mm-hmm. I, I I love it. And I also I like that it starts off with the collective, the Jedi, and then it, he goes, your destiny. Because Yeah. The future. I, yes, absolutely. A new destiny for the Jedi. It's great. Whew. Okay. So next we see they're back on Pasana with Poe and 3PO, and we see Finn go, woo, as a something explodes and it's kind of our lightest moment i think <laughs> in the trailer um which is funny considering just how triumphant the music itself is but there he's on the speeder in pasana with poe and 3po bb8 is there too and some other joy too who i think is the one that explodes whatever it is that explodes like we see a button get pushed or something like that mm-hmm. uh then we see lando in the falcon with chewy right then we see lando is it just Lando? Yeah. Um, he's smiling, having a great time. He's like, he just got back from some somersaults. Absolutely. And <laughs> just, I can't. The somersaulting Lando. Uh, then we see a Y-Wing going towards a destroyer, another ship. <laughs> Here we are talking about ships. Oh, you're right. It's with Chewie. I just went back and checked. Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, And I wonder if they'll talk about Han. I can't. That'll make me sad. Oh, my God. Uh, No, we're not. mm -mm, We're not. (laughs) And (laughs) we see Janna leading the Orbax with Finn behind them. No Poe, but BB-8 is there, too, rolling. Like, how how fast do you think BB-8 can actually go? Because he's he's so fast. He's flying. Yeah. (laughs) This. Like, flying. And I always think about there's that behind the scenes from The Last Jedi. I think it's in The Director and The Jedi, too, which we just watched last week. But they're, like, testing BB-8 in one of the re- uh, resistance hangars or, or ships, like the bridge or something like that. And he can't get up the hill. And, like, this, like, tiny slope. And they're all like, you can do it. And then he rolls back down. <laughs> and they're like, aww. <laughs> But then you hear he's like going. So good. Uh, it's really funny. Yeah, that shot is just it's so interesting that there's Jana and then there's Finn and they're riding on the side of a Star Destroyer outside in space. It really just reminds me of Rebels. And when Ezra was on top of the Purgles, it just I'm like, zero gravity doesn't even matter. Like who like why are they're they're outside in space like we're fighting in space guys we have a space battle they're fighting outside in space how is it happening it's so cool (laughs) but not only that i'm like where's poe and i guess poe could potentially be in his x-wing but i i'm just i don't i don't know why guys i've had a bad feeling i've I've talked about this for a while i think poe's gonna die in the rise of skywalker i've just had this feeling i want to be wrong 
But I'm like, why is BB-8 not with Poe in this ship? Just have to mention it. <laughs> You're like, and now I'm out. And now I'm out. Okay, so next we get the <laughs> epic story. Okay. Uh, I will just say that I think if a character is going to die, I think Finn is high on the shopping block. Are you or serious? Po. Not Finn. I'm sorry. Poe. Poe. I okay. think Poe is the high. Oh, okay. I'm like, no, Finn is not dying. <laughs> I, I'm like, I think, we already went through that. <laughs> yeah, I think Poe is, is feasible. I'll just leave that there too. Uh, okay, so the next shot is a great Ray and Kylo shot and the words flash across the screen. The story lives forever and it's the shot of Ray and Kylo in the old throne room and this scene just looks great and <laughs> Kylo doesn't have his helmet. You don't see his lightsaber. It almost looks like he doesn't have it but he's also wearing a big cloak so like it could just be behind the cloak but it's definitely not ignited. That's saying he probably actually does have his lightsaber, but it's just not ignited. Whereas Ray's is, and she has the high ground. The floor is slightly sloped, but there's like this soft golden light, like morning light, like new dawn breaking through at the end of this long journey and battle. And what we said earlier, Ray and Kylo couldn't come together at the end of the last Jedi battle, but at the end of this battle, they finally can. Like a second chance. It's just so good. The The thing is, is that I just, the, the whole, the story lives forever and then focus like fading straight into just them. It's just amazing. What's funny is I had this screenshot on my phone and I went to go crop it because I was going to post it on Instagram and my phone tried to level it and I was like, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. Ray has to have the high ground here. Your, your phone's like, to apologize. <laughs> your phone's like balance. Yeah, literally. It's like, it's time to balance it. And I'm like, I get it. But at this Not point, yet. the tension is really prime here. And it's really great. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. Um, I think it's just I love how it it says story. That's just such a like a good simple word. It's not the saga. It's not the franchise. It's not the Skywalker line. It's just it's the story, and it's just a reminder that this is a fairy tale at the end of the day, and it is a story for young people. And I don't know, there's just something really quaint about that, even in the midst of this huge mythological, powerful thing, force happening around all of them. This is just a story that has happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, or it could be happening right now. And I don't know, I think there's just, I don't know, there's just something like timeless about it. Totally. We've gotten some questions. Our friend Brian sent us a question about whether or not the quote from the mood board, which we talked about way back in November 2018, when Vic Mahoney posted this or after Thanksgiving, I think, um, with a roomy quote that was, I'll be on wrong, I'll be on right, there is a place, I'll meet you there. And Caitlin and I did a whole episode about this because I, it's like the most Raylo quote that ever happened. And uh, we got a question that was like, could this be the like, could the place be the throne room? And I think it's a little bit more metaphorical than that. I don't think it's a literal place. I wouldn't be surprised if it was expressed in a literal place, but I don't think it's this. Um, what do you think? I think that there, I think it will be expressed as a literal, a literal place, but I think that place is like the world between worlds type of place that they go to. 
and whether that is all in their mind or it actually brings them together or the place is simply a place of understanding and of acceptance. And that conversation happens here in the throne room finally. That's kind of what I think. But I think you're right. The, you're right. Yeah, my, my world between worlds stand self wants it to be like an actual place where they are just together and they're not worried about the labels that the First Order and the Resistance have put on them. Yeah. Some people have slowed this down and it looks like Kylo is speaking and some people have said that it looks like Kylo is saying, but I do in this moment. And I wonder if that we could place that, that that dialogue here and it would work and that would make sense. And I think it would because, it, like you say, Ray says that, that line with such anger and like uh, aggress- aggressiveness. And she that, still has her lightsaber. And she still here. has her lightsaber. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is that it, it, it does feel like she has the high ground sh- and then we have someone who's below her, Kylo, saying, but I do. Um, I don't know. I could see that being a thing. Yeah, no, I definitely could too. It just, it's such a, it's so picturesque, that whole scene. That whole shot. If something like big happens, I might change my cover photo on Twitter to that because it's just so good. Wow. Wow. I know. (laughs) My cover photo has been Luke at the end of The Last Jedi since The Last Jedi, like a fan art of it from, um, I think his name is John. I can't think of it. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's like this beautiful piece of fan art. Yeah, mine's been the throne room for a long time since The Last Jedi and they released like PR images. I got it from like a PR website and put it there. So I, I'm i I'm with you. Wow. And it would be crazy to replace one throne room scene with another one. <sighs> I know. With like character <laughs> progression, it's just really exciting. <laughs> Man, we love character development. We really do. Okay, so next we have Finn jumping on the Death Star and yelling Ray, and you can see Janna behind him. And I want to take a moment here to talk about something that I mentioned before, but about how, like, Kylo and Finn, and we've talked about this. Caitlin and I have a whole episode on Finn and Finn's hero's journey called Evan 2187. And it is... uh, Something that we harp on in that episode is how Kylo and Finn seem to have, like, they they know of each other, but they, like, keep missing each other. It's like a sliding door situation. Like, you even – something that's so interesting about The Last Jedi is that Rose and Finn and DJ are on the supremacy at the same time that Rey and Kylo and Snoke are. And it's just interesting that, like, there's they, they even share a scene, like, one's in the elevator and one's below. It's so funny to me. Um, so basically they keep missing each other and I'm like, okay, here we have a moment where Finn can finally share some sort of dialogue potentially with Finn. And I think that's kind of promising and I'm excited about that. Yeah. Did I say, did I say Finn could share dialogue with Finn? I meant Finn could share dialogue with Kylo. Everyone's been saying that Ray's the clone, but maybe it's really Finn. (laughs) No, no, (laughs) no. Um, yeah, I... Yeah, I think I think that's right. It's they both are traitors at this point for different reasons. Yes. So that that is this kind of weird connection between them. I like the idea that in Force Awakens, Finn was running towards Rey as she was abducted. 
whereas it could be the same setup, but everything has changed. And maybe now Finn, like Ray chooses to go on her own or Kylo is, or like maybe, maybe, maybe Ray is like going to the dark side and Finn's trying to stop her. And Kylo's like, no, she has to do this. I know you don't understand why, but you have to trust me. Mm -hmm. And Finn does or doesn't. I don't know. I don't know. I think it could be interesting. I, I like the idea that it's paralleled with the abduction scene in The Force Awakens and kind of showcasing just how far these characters have come. Because the whole point in The Force Awakens was that Finn was really operating for himself and for Rey in the moment, too. He really didn't care about anyone else at that time. But now he has other responsibilities. So what is that going to look like? When it's kind of like he either has to choose to trust Kylo, perhaps, or trust that Rey is doing what she needs to be doing, or he has to abandon the resistance who needs him to go with Rey or go after Rey. It'll be interesting to see what his choice is. I think it, it'll be interesting also if Rey chooses to go. And it really does yeah. parallel that abduction scene yeah. of ultimate choice. That's kind of what I think, honestly. I think she'll be choosing to go. And... Mm-hmm. Finn will maybe not understand. And I don't know. Because like in that moment, it looks like he's going after her. But maybe maybe then they have a conversation and he accepts that she has to go and that she trusts Kylo or trusts the situation, even if Kylo's not there, to do what she needs to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so our next shot is of one of the most interesting shots is of Rey and Kylo destroying what people are saying is the Darth Vader helmet in a white room that no one is really sure if it's like Imperial, First Order, Resistance, Rebellion. Like we're all kind of like, what? Um, Yeah, seriously so confusing. Yeah, I've seen some people say that like maybe this is the World Between Worlds type of place like – I love this theory, yeah. and we can't take credit for it. But the no. idea that they've like manifest something inside of them that they have that they have a place that they go to that is so white, that is so um, like stark and clean and crystal clear, you know? Yeah. And I think that it's interesting to consider what I was saying in our last episode, our reaction, which I was like, I immediately made the connection of like Ray and Kylo destroying some sort of enchanted mask. I thought it was similar to Yoda denouncing both his shadow and Darth Bane and who he sees on Moraband when he goes through those trials in order to become master of two worlds, which is part of his hero's journey. And I think that that's super interesting here, but it's even more interesting if if this is a place inside of their brain that they have to overcome these mental obstacles, whether it's destroying the mask this way, whether Kylo... potentially like remember there's that shot that came out in the um some shareholders meeting that leaked that was kylo like either opening or closing or like putting um the mask in some sort of drawer like maybe he tried to destroy it before maybe he opened it and unleashed some sort of monster well, within a- that ray and him have to carry what what i was gonna say like him putting it in the drawer it's Like, let's assume this is, uh, like, a mind palace, basically, like, to be a little bit Sherlock. But also, like, Dave Filoni, it's not about where they actually are. It's where they believe they are. And they're in this place. And and Kylo, like, this is – like, what if this is Kylo's place? It's not the place they are together. It's a place that he lets right into. And that helmet, he's never been able to actually destroy because he's afraid of what happens when he destroys it. 
And he's like, he's just like always like kind of putting it away just in case or putting it away because he needs it like a security blanket, almost like a dark side security blanket. And then Ray is the one who after C-3PO tells her everything he knows about Anakin and Padme, she like comes to this mind palace and is like, you got to get rid of that thing pronto. Yeah, we have to destroy it. Yeah, and it's a total parallel to Force Awakens with Han and Kylo of Kylo being like, I know what I have to do. I just don't have the strength to do it. Can you help me? And the great thing about that scene is that you like believe that it could go either way. Like you believe that that Kylo is being genuine in what he's saying and that I don't even think Kylo knows for sure what he was going to do in that moment. But I think like and just like Han offered his help too, Ray will offer her help. Will help him again, just like she tells him she will in the Last Jedi. I'll help you, um, and they'll actually do it this time. And Kylo will be able to do it because he has Ray's support too. But he's the one yeah. who—he's the one who has to make the choice that that's what he wants to do. So cool. I I would love that. I think this is like a super cool theory that I love and I'm clinging to. <laughs> but I think that another cool thing is that um, some of our friends have slowed down this scene and like made a gif of it. And it kind of looks like Kylo is reaching to take off of his helmet when he's um, when the scene is kind of cutting out, which I think is also really interesting. So how long does he wear the helmet? Is he taking it off for good? Why is he wearing it to begin with? Just so many questions. I don't know. I don't know. Um, the other fun thing about this scene is that uh, Ray has a knife in her hand, which, you know, if you're a reverse Annie Dollist out there, then, or a Star Wars fan, you know that original concept art for Padme in Revenge of the Sith had her going to Mustafar with a knife uh, at the pretense of killing Anakin uh, once she confirmed that he was the one that killed younglings at the Jedi Temple and, and had, in fact, turned the dark side. But that was eventually scrapped and it never came to pass. But we see Rey here with a knife, too, so it kind of makes you wonder where she gets that. We also see a dagger on Mortis in the Mortis trilogy from the Clone Wars. Now, this dagger is super interesting. <laughs> um, and Dave, I was watching Clone Wars featurettes, as I do, and I when Dave was talking about the Mortis trilogy, this is something I'd forgotten that he had said, but he said basically he was like, you'll notice, he goes, you'll notice there's not a long featurette about the Mortis trilogy. Like I know you're probably expecting and that's by design. <laughs> and he's basically like, we could, I love it. yeah. And he was like, you know, there are all these questions about was that really Qui-Gon Jinn? What does it mean that Ahsoka saw her older self? Is she going to make it past the Clone Wars? You know, uh, what does it mean that there was resurrection in this episode? What is the symbolism of the dagger? And he was like, I have all those answers. He's like, but I'm not going to give them. <laughs> and, but basically he was saying, you know, that like that's part of the enigma of Mortis and of the Force and of Star Wars too. Like that takes something away from us as an audience to be given the answers like that. Um, but about the dagger specifically, and if you don't know, the dagger daughter takes Obi-Wan to this like very Aladdin cave of dreams type of setting and Indiana Jones too has him get this dagger, which is made of smoke. And as Dave says, the dagger is a metaphorical device, but so is everything in Mortis. And it's a weapon that can kill ultra beings like son and daughter and father. So it's kind of crazy that 
Ray has a dagger and she's as instruments of the cosmic force. I think it would be safe to say that her and Kylo are ultra beings themselves. And so you need something very powerful in order to take them down. And I think that would also include Palpatine in that bucket too. So Invader, it looks like she's using it in that moment to help destroy Vader's helmet. It's interesting that if that's what the dagger is for, that Kylo's not holding it. So I think there's a there's going to be a lot to unpack in that particular scene. Yes. That is really interesting. I hadn't considered that. Yeah. I wonder if she has to deal with something herself and she's just – because she destroys – I don't think she destroys the helmet with the dagger. She destroys it with the lightsaber with Kylo. Mm-hmm. She just has it in her hand. So, like, had they just come from destroying something else that maybe had to do with her versus this had to do with him – I think that maybe there's some obstacles that each of them has to work out. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. So maybe you know? this is a place that they have created themselves. I mean, I really love that theory, so I'm just attached. I do too. <laughs> and like you go into different places and it has like their different insecurities. Like how great would that be? That is so um, – it's a little Harry Potter-esque, but I think that – that's also fine just because I think that anytime that Star Wars can lean into like the weird, the magical, the strange is just better overall for the force. I wonder, I don't know. So a show I watch is called the 100 and it's really good. You should all check it out if you don't, but there's a scene where like in the last season, the main character, she goes to like a similar trial and she goes to like basically a mind palace, just like Sherlock does and Sherlock And she, like, every time she goes into these different rooms in the ship where she came from, um, she, like, reverts back to these younger versions of herself. Like, if she walks through a door and she's in, like, her childhood bedroom, she's suddenly, like, in her costume from her childhood. And, like, that whole room, like, represents everything that was going on in her life. And then she steps out of it and she's suddenly, like, back to her present self. And it would be interesting if, like, they step into a different room and suddenly we're with Ray when she's a child being abandoned by her parents. Like, what if that ship is the ship where she's abandoned that, like, flies off without her oh, interesting. that we see in The Force Awakens? I just, like, I think if this is that kind of place, it can get super trippy. And if it's a place that is created by Ray and Kylo and in some ways stores their fears and they're confronting them, and then you even think about, like, the Divergent trilogy and stuff like that where they have to go into like their fear box or whatever they get. They have to like confront their own fears and stuff. And that's obviously like – It's for sure a literary trope. Yeah. People (laughs) draw on a lot about like this uh, physical manifestation of your fear. Yeah, exactly. And so what exactly is that going to look like in The Rise of Skywalker? So like Kylo's fear is his past and of letting go of Vader – Yes, but it's also interesting because it still begs the question of who was talking to him through the mask. And yeah. I think that's that's really like kind of the most interesting question to me is we have this whole scene. It's like four minutes, which is a significant runtime of Kylo describing and talking to a mask in such a Hamlet style. And you you are kind of like, is he OK? Is he crazy? Just like you you do with Hamlet. And I think that it's. It's just like as an audience, we're like, that doesn't make sense because Darth Vader wouldn't be possessing the mask because Darth Vader ceased to exist when he became Anakin Skywalker again in the the end of his death at the end of, yeah, at the end of his life. 
So we know that as the audience, but Kylo doesn't know that. So when does he learn? When do we find out that Palpatine is the one that's been possessing the mask or Snoke or some mixture of the two? I think that needs to be uncovered. And I do think it will be answered just because JJ made that movie and he's making this one too as well. (sighs) There's so much to be answered. And I felt this way about The Last Jedi too. I felt like there was, I remember doing our last episode before The Last Jedi and being like, oh my God, there's just so many plot points. I don't know how they're going to do it. How are they going to fit into this entire movie? And I mean, clearly they did. And I have faith that they're going to. Um, because I do think so many things were resolved and explored in The Last Jedi that I imagine that they're, able, they're going to be able to do it in The Rise of Skywalker in two hours and 35 minutes. <laughs> Precisely. Precisely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think something we have to talk about is the fact that George Lucas has been listed as a writer for... On some websites. On some not websites. on in the billing. Yes. But... I'm just so intrigued by it. <laughs> Very intrigued, super intrigued. You know, I was rewatching the Mortis arc featurettes, and it's something that Dave always talks about when he talks about Clone Wars and writing is that these ideas come directly from George. These ideas come directly from George, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to the Force stuff, he's like, no, these really come from George. <laughs> it's like yes. super George Lucas. And he says um, about the Mortis arc, he says the purpose of the Mortis arc is to make you ask questions and wonder um, like what exactly is the Force and what can it do, which I think is the question that the sequel trilogy has been asking us too. And he said that during like production and stuff like that, George would come with this really old binder that was basically all of his drafts from the original trilogy and his notes on how he talked about the Force. And I don't know. I'm just (laughs) – I wonder if that old binder was getting some use again. Well, we we know that George was more involved in this one than he has been in the whole Disney era. Yeah. And that he has seen things. He's treated things. He's gotten advice. uh, He's given advice to JJ um, and Chris Terrio. And yeah, the whole Chris Terrio of it all, too, who's <laughs> someone who I assume is super steeped in force lore because he always talks about it. Yeah. And in the times that he does talk about anything. <laughs> he does. The whole two times we've heard from him, he has talked about the force. Yeah, well, he's he's dropped a lot his, you know, his opinions about the force. And um, I to me, I just trust that he knows the material super well. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was like the person that was kind of talking directly to George. And I, I don't know. <laughs> What's funny is that would fall directly in line with our director headcanon. Absolutely. That's why I, that's why it fits. <laughs> Cheryl and I have like very convoluted, complicated, layered headcanons about the relationships between all of the Star Wars directors. And we're always like, George loves Dave the most, then Ryan, then Gareth, then JJ. <laughs> <laughs> It's bad. It's it's really bad. It's really bad. But it's so funny that you're like, he probably talks to Chris Terrio the most. And I'm like, yeah, because JJ is his least favorite. Yeah. But I just think it is. I just think that's (laughs) just true. That's built on nothing. But that's what we think. (laughs) That's our (laughs) headcanon. We always talk about like look to the animation department for the future of Star Wars. And and it's done these really crazy things with the force that, that really do seem to be being picked up in some form or fashion in The Rise of Skywalker and and has been throughout the sequel trilogy too. And so many of these ideas came directly from George and like Dave has stated that 
over and over and over again that none of these things about the force were put in unless it was with George's explicit approval and oftentimes like him writing it. And so I just think it makes sense if this final film is to say something about the force itself that it would come directly from George. Yeah. It has to. I, don't know. I feel like Yeah, I think there better be some freaking amazing Bonus behind features. the scenes features for this movie is oh, all I'm saying. Them. Like we need them. I need a whole documentary that's j- actually I need a documentary and I need three commentaries that are just Adam Driver for the whole for each movie in the sequel trilogy. <laughs> Release the Adam Driver <laughs> footage. <laughs> we've gotten nothing and I need to have a, an entire like hour and a half featurette that's like the evolution of Kylo Ren and we finally get all of that once we figure out his story because the thing is it's like my guess is they have all of this footage but they couldn't keep Adam Driver from being like yeah well like you know Kylo's gonna be redeemed and like this is the things that are gonna happen and they're like Adam we can't use this take it's again like, I'm, I'm working towards something really special and i've known about it since the very beginning and that's why i'm very involved and i know i don't see kylo as a villain because in my brain he's not a villain and he's just you know very sensitive and my idea of an ending would be too mushy too sentimental it's just too sentimental sentimental. it's way too sentimental like and you know you have this kid who grew up and you imagine and you know he's just been abandoned by the people he felt closest to so we've heard all that, but we need, but this, we need more. All we've heard. Like Adam Driver is the Chris Terrio, too, of the cast. So true. Um, which I think is one part of part of Adam Driver's own design, <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> fair. <laughs> but also I think they just can't stop him from spoiling it because he probably talks about it so poetically and wonderfully. And I'm like, please, just I need I need to hear you talk about Kylo Ren in depth. Me too. So next we have Poe, Finn, and 3PO looking um, at like there's a shot that was in previous material. I don't remember where it's from, whether it was just a photo that was released during the uh, celebration panel, but it had Ray included. But I think in this shot, you see Ray's lightsaber reflected in their eyes. So I'm just like, what are they looking at? Who is Ray meeting? I hope it's Kylo. Um, <laughs> Next, we have Finn and Jana again. This is the shot I was referring to before, and I got a little bit ahead of myself. Leading the Orbax on top of the Star Destroyer. It's in space. It's so awesome. This can't be said any more than we have, but it was like, it's just so cool, and I cannot wait. I can't believe we have horses in space fighting. It's just going to be so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It really, really is. (laughs) So then the next shot is... My favorite shot, I think, is Kylo looking away. It's funny because in the show notes, it says Kylo shot. And it's like, was he shot by something? And for a second, I was like, wait, did I miss that? Like, is he okay? But he's fine. It's a shot of Kylo. (laughs) Well, he's not fine. Uh, He's crying. (laughs) (laughs) Physically, he appears all right, though. (laughs) True. You never know. Yeah, we didn't see the bottom half, but so far, so good. I uh, got hit with another bowcaster. Okay, so it's a shot of Kylo looking away. And it kind of looks like it's a TIE fighter in the background that's been crashed and lights flickering and stuff. But as he turns towards the light, <laughs> there's you see like a single tear on his cheek. And uh, 
seems specific. But that shot is really cool too because it's like there's this great play of light on his face too. Like he comes in and out of darkness and there's like light over his eyes, like concentrated light over like near his eyes and stuff like that. I don't know. I think it's a really – looks really nice. Um, And so the big question is who or what is he looking towards? And uh, I think Ray. I hope Ray. Or some sort of weird force thing because the light is so pointed on his face. I just think I I, it just seems so glowy. I don't I don't know. Or it could be nothing and we could be looking way too deep into this. But um, I don't know. I'm I am kind of shook by the whole scene. I keep rewatching it. Yeah, it's it's really good. And then one of the last scenes that we see is Palpatine laughing in his throne, a chair uh, that's moving, question mark, and Ray is on the ground. Um, one of the things that I don't think I noticed the first couple times I watched this, and I'm still not 100% sh- sure what I actually see, but it almost looks like the – like so Ray looks like she's on an ice, like right? She's on like ice, snow, something like that, like frozen ground and it almost looked like there's a grid pattern i know behind that's her i was gonna mention yeah and i don't know if that's intentional like that's the f- like there's something like engravings or something underneath her or if that's just how like if she's on ice for example like that's just how it's cracking and we're just seeing like the beginning or end of that or something like that but it no, looks i don't it think it's like, ice it looks in- it looks like engraving yeah and so it's like what exactly is engraved on the floor of wherever they are and she kind of like at the very end of the clip of the shot you kind of see her look like she's taking a step back okay i'm gonna say something that i don't it just sounds a little too galaxy brain for even me (laughs) does it or does it not look like a cross okay so it's either her shadow or it could just be like a continuation of the block but if so to me, I the first thing I saw was a cross, which is interesting just with the idea of sacrifice. And I don't think Star Wars really leans at all on Christianity, but I do think that, I don't know, is is Rey going to be, or, or is there some sort of sacrificial notion here? I think there could be. But like the Foursquare is also really interesting too, that like, that, that, that I don't know. I don't know what's underneath those blocks. Like, it yeah. kind of freaks me out. I mean, I definitely think Star Wars has like the redemptive qualities that we see in Christianity. Yes. But I like, I didn't see the cross. I kind of think it's her shadow. What I do think is interesting is that whether it's a cross or just the four square kind of design, is that one, she's kind of outside of the square, but she's in the middle. Like, she's lined up. With this, yeah, with the center of whatever that is. And it does look purposeful because now that you're looking at it again, it's like there are cracks in the ground around her that are clearly ground cracks, like natural cracks. But this looks very specific. And I wonder if there's a matching one on the other side or just like there's smoke behind her too. Like, where are we? It does also remind me of like the arena that you see in Mortis Mm -hmm. when – Anakin has to like hold the son and daughter and they're they're like griffin-ish forms yeah. and balance them perfectly. 
that when you mention if maybe Kylo's on the other side and that's some sort of uh, visual comparison that you can make because it really does look really similar, you know? Yeah. Is this where we get the casual blood sacrifice? Who knows, Caitlin? I don't know, but I really hope we see it. There's something that I want to talk about too here is I I just hadn't considered that because I think we have been talking about Vader's castle so much that I hadn't considered that the real place of like the dark side or Palpatine is or something could actually be ice covered. Like when they showed that ice planet, I don't know. I just didn't really think about that. And here we have potential ice. And I think that it harkens back to the notion of the underworld, which we've obviously gotten so many scenes of, um, like so many callbacks to we've, we've talked about this so much. It's like, I'm almost sick of talking about it. <laughs> like uh, Hades and Persephone and all these things, all these myths. Um, but I do think it's, it's, we're so like our mind immediately when we think of hell, sometimes it jumps to like a fiery hellscape. But I do think that in Dante, um, that's where we're introduced to hell being an icy, like, uh, hellscape and it being freezing. And I think that that's a really interesting notion and something that we haven't really gotten in Star Wars. Like, I, of course, we've gotten Hoth, but I wouldn't say that that's like the reign of hell in the underworld, like that we would get with Palpatine, which is exactly where I'd assume Palpatine would be. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I just think that's an interesting, um, definitely pointed choice if they do decide to do that. Yeah, and of course we have that shot from one of the other teasers of Kylo in what looks like the same place, <laughs> like storming forward. Right. I'm not so sure about that shot. Like, I think it is, but I know that some people have done, like, color gradation that it looks like Pisana. Like, it oh, could be yeah. Pisana at night. But I think that that's a good thing to bring up, but I just am not sure. Yeah. One of the things that I read in the Star Wars Archives book that was just kind of interesting was that Macquarie, when they were talking about the Emperor, Macquarie had kind of conceptualized him, Palpatine, as changing his form and shape depending on his mood, which is kind of crazy (laughs) when you think about that, right? Like, isn't that insane? Yes. I mean, George eventually rejected this idea, but that's not to say that it like they don't throw anything away at Lucasfilm. <laughs> and so that idea could still be manifested. And and maybe not that Palpatine is changing his form and shape, but that he could or that he can change his location or like preserve his own life force, I think really falls into that kind of conceptualization that came from Macquarie. And just something that was kind of interesting that also came up, too, was that we talked earlier about how the Palpatine's throne throne room was conceptualized, too, in a lava type of setting. And there was a draft of some version of the script where Vader brought Luke to Palpatine and said, kneel before your emperor. And Luke said, I kneel before no one, least of all him. And I can really see Rey saying that, too. And I don't know. It's it's such like a great line. And I was thinking, I meant to bring this up earlier, but I was thinking, you know, comparing Luke at the start of Return of the Jedi and Rey from what we've seen of her now, I think it's really fascinating because the Luke we meet at the start of Return of the Jedi on Tatooine, he's so calm, cool, and collected. And that's like the shock of, ooh, like time has passed. He has matured. He knows more now. Whereas the Rey we see at the start from what we've seen so far, like we've said, is very aggressive and um, almost seems like reactionary. 
uh, I don't know, they're different, but it's still clear that time has passed and things have changed. And I don't know, I just, I'm glad that they're not exactly following the same trajectory, which I don't think they have been, but I think it's worth it to kind of compare where two of our main characters were at the start of their last films, really. Yeah, I think that's true. So finally, we end with Luke saying, the force will be with you. And then Carrie, (laughs) I said Carrie, but it's Leia saying always, which so good. It was just like the warm fuzzy that you needed at the end of the trailer. And then you end with a shot of Ray looking strong and like confident. Relieved. And this relieved, like something, it was just like such a beautiful shot that I almost can't believe they kept it in this trailer because it feels like a shot at the end of the movie, but it re- reassures me that they're getting like the most happy ending. Yeah. I, yeah, like the lightsaber reflected in her eyes. What is she looking at? Who is she looking at? What, like, is this the end? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I hope, I hope that this is when. I don't know. I keep mentioning, like, when is the force going to be balanced? Like, I hope that this is when the force is balanced and, like, everything that Ray had ever wanted is coming true. Yeah. Like, I just really want all things good for Ray. And I want everything that she thought to be true to come out to be true and, like, her heroes to be her heroes and her to, like, f- truly find herself and say what she wanted and to feel like she has a family, to feel like that family is within the people around her, to feel like she is is someone who like is completely understood i don't know i just i really want like pure happiness for her and i i i was reassured at this last shot yeah i was too it is it it feels like it feels like she's feeling relief and she's finally found her belonging and i think we'll see that reflected in what's on the other side of her of whatever it is she's looking at and it doesn't body finally that hopefully um, I know I keep bringing up the archives book, but I hope you all get used to that <laughs> because <laughs> I'm going to keep bringing it up. And uh, it's a big book for one thing. <laughs> it's massive. But also what I think is great about it is that it has like almost like these little George fortune cookie quotes just like sprinkled all around it, like sometimes very random <laughs> from what's being talked about on the page. But this one that I came across, I thought, I don't know, it just – Again, thinking about what kind of influence George may or may not have on this film, I think it's kind of it's worthwhile to kind of pull these quotes for what his mind thinks about the original trilogy, where he where he conceptualized all of these things. And, you know, thinking about Star Wars as fairy tale and as story and what that means and how we want the and they all lived happily ever after at the end or some form of that. Of course, I think we all realize that there will be some bittersweetness and Star Wars is tragedy. So so there will be tears, but there should also be triumph too. And George, I found this quote in there and he said, I was raised believing that right always wins and I still believe it. It's a deceit, of course, and it's been replaced by cynicism. You can learn from cynicism, but you can't build on it. You can build on dreams. And I don't know, that really just like spoke to me, I guess, about this idea of like this saga ending with Kylo dying and and what does that say about the rest of our characters? What does that say about Rey if she's the one to do it? And that just feels very cynical and very much a product of like our time right now. And there certainly is a time and a place for a film like that. But I don't know if I think Star Wars is that. 
And I don't know if I think Star Wars should be that. And the dream is that you get the happy ending in the end and that love does prevail and that so does good and it triumphs evil, but it can also help change evil and change bad to good. And those people can make different choices too. And I don't know, this this quote just kind of summed up why I don't think we're going to be devastated by this ending. Yeah. I mean, I hope not. And I agree with you. Every time I read a quote from George Lucas, I feel uplifted about how I understand Star Wars as a story, as a really positive story, as some a story that really puts love as the highest power over anything, you know? And I I feel like I expect that in The Rise of Skywalker, especially with, like we mentioned before, the amount of inclusion that George Lucas has had in the story, the amount of, I'm sure he's seen many drafts and added his notes and all these different things. I think that he was dipping his toes in when he visited the set one singular time in Solo. I think that he's had his hand a little bit each, maybe with each movie, maybe it'll be revealed later each time with the and especially with the rise of skywalker and it brings me so much satisfaction that he's had his a hand potentially in um closing out the saga in which he produced six of the films i hope so i really hope so and i hope he's satisfied with it definitely which that's like a whole other complicated story that we're definitely not going to get into here (laughs) but i think everything we've seen so far suggests that he is involved on some level and it that's good that's a good thing and it can only mean good things for the rise of skywalker so we've made it to the end this might be our longest episode (laughs) we did it we surpassed our weird four stuff episode which was our longest episode i went back and checked (laughs) oh boy I yeah. I just don't know what's going to happen when the actual movie comes out. Oh my god, Caitlin, I don't know what I we're going to do. We have so much to say. We just can talk forever about know, Star Wars. I know. And we're going to be sad too. <laughs> we're going to be depressed. Remember how depressed we were after Rogue One? Yeah. Okay, Ro- that's not fair. <laughs> it's 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 fair. We were a little jaded. We were like, wow. wow. Thank God we didn't have the podcast right then. <laughs> I know, seriously. Um yeah, it's, it's – I don't know what we're going to do. Anyway, but we will be talking about The Rise of Skywalker more. You can count on it. Count That's on guaranteed. it. You can, count, you can take that money to the bank, listener. Oh, <laughs> but I think that's going to wrap up <laughs> this episode. Yep. That was yeah. uh, so much. I, we really uh, talked about everything. And I'm sure we could talk more about literally everything that we talked about. <laughs> and that's what's yeah, crazy is that if we had the stamina, I think that we could talk for like two more if hours we had about the it. How does one train to be a better podcaster to t- talk for longer? Coffee. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And honestly, honestly, guys, I hit a wall today at like two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, we recorded this the day after the trailer came out and I was up until about 2 a.m. I know Charlotte was up until at least 3 a.m. because I woke up to her text messages <laughs> of her like sending me screenshots. <laughs> well, I had like, to edit the show <laughs> and then I was I was a little wired. I mean, I think the, we sh- all the were, show right? went up at like midnight. Okay. <laughs> no, it went up at 1.37. Did it? I have no concept of time from yesterday. Same. But 
<laughs> I think, yeah, like I was tired in the morning and then I got my first cup of coffee and I was like, okay, like I can do this. And then I kind of like rode the the Star Wars high that like Twitter was giving me until about two o'clock, in which case like literally at two o'clock, I got this raging headache. My energy just zapped and I like slumped <laughs> literally and figuratively. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so that was not good um but yeah i we both need to go to bed early tonight and <laughs> indeed yeah and guys i just i'm really excited that we're all here together for the end of this trilogy the end of this saga it's it's been a ride fam it's been a ride the best ride I know. I don't know why. I'm, like, this sounds like a goodbye, and this is literally just the trailer. Like, the film hasn't even come out yet, so I need to rain hit the f back in. Yeah. But I think that is going to wrap up this episode for the trailer analysis. I hope you guys liked it. Um, please contact us and let us know what your galaxy brain theory is. I really think that my three PO one is my galaxy brain theory of the episode. So I'm going to stick with that one, I think, for a while until proven otherwise. So let us know what you think about the trailer. You can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Flusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com, and you can also email us, SkytalkersPodcast at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear and you want to show your support, you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. It really, really, really helps other people find our show and it makes our day too if you want to leave a written review so if you have a moment to spare please go and do that we would really really appreciate it but if you want other ways to support us you can also find us on patreon yep absolutely and i want to say a huge thank you to our patrons jason jennifer jessica mike thomas bridget gina shelbo joey james kathy gee kate nathan sam bailey eric Kelly, Amy, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Swara, Bradley, Josh, Ian, Raz, Lakshana, Candace, Ewan, Tom the Fanboy, Daniel, Heather, Brooklyn, Kimma, Jalia, Matthew, Captain Britton, Jackson, Carrie, Jackson, Raphael, David, Ada, Liz, Christian, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, Ira Bell, Kimberly, Fundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Centara, Thomas, John, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpararoo, Patrick, James, Hammy, Neil, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kels, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Delaney, Angela, Ali, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Jared, Claire, Brad, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabers Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky 
Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.